Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Happy Tuesday to you. I'm Randy Carricker. Brooke Grimsley is in for Kerry Davis. Matthew Rocchio is here. CD is out doing some coaching at the in the NFLPA All-Star Game in Los Angeles. Good morning, Brooke. How are you doing? Good morning. Yeah, I, I wish I was out in L.A. with CD. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, he's got the warm weather going. He's <laughs> working with Jeff Fisher. Not everything is great. But, uh, I remember yeah. Jeff Fisher. I think we all do, right? Yeah, we, we do. You more than us because you kind of grew up with him as your coach in Nashville, right? He was. Yes, he was. He was like, they liked him. They did for a little bit, uh-huh. for a little bit. But it's I think something that even St. Louisans know is he had a little bit of that ceiling as a coach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he took you far enough. But then it just he couldn't get past a yeah. certain point. Here it was seven, eight and one. That was that was that was how far we got. Yeah. Well, in Tennessee, though, I will say it, it was it was great growing up during that time. I just remember you had Air McNair. I mean, you had really the Music City miracle and then going against the St. Louis Rams, the greatest show on turf. I think that that was the best time to grow up watching NFL football, honestly. I don't know if we'll ever see any football no, like great. that again. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, from a football perspective, Kerry kind of living in Neanderthal times, coaching with uh, Jeff Fisher this week. But for running backs, coach, that's, that's good because that's that's what they're going to be doing. <laughs> it's uh, Matthew, you, li- you like that? I was going to say, his boys are going to be getting some work. He's going to be yeah. a key. I, mean, yeah, I mean, the running back coach I mean, is going to have his hands him and the offensive line coach yep. are going to be buddy buddy. I mean, I feel sorry for the quarterbacks and receivers coach. I mean, that's that's right, got to be a rough. Be much. That's got to be a rough job in a, in a in an all-star game coach by Jeff Fisher. Especially <laughs> who could I bet Jeff's like, listen, guys, we got to simplify it for the guys here. And they're just like, mm-hmm. yeah, here we go. Double slants and then a lot of uh, you know power eye. Right. It's Blues game day. The Sabres are in town. Pre-game at 6, action at 7 for you with Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale here on 101 ESPN. Pre-game, by the way, with Joey and Alex at 6 o'clock. The Blues are going to get some reinforcements back. Craig Berube asked yesterday if numbers 91 and 47 are going to play. Yeah, I mean, I don't know yet, but I think so. I mean, they practiced today full again, which is good. Get Kruger getting another one in there. Vladdy's been with us, and um, they both seem good. But, uh, you know, kind of wait and see. Vladdy is a fast healer, apparently. Apparently so. Well, he has been in practice, and he's been participating in full practice. And last, I think it was this past Friday when I went, I... 
he was asked about that is, you know, you seem fine, Baruby's saying that you're ready to go, but he said he still didn't feel 100%. Obviously, we saw the hand injury that he had that's kept him out for a while now, and I can understand. You want to make sure that you feel comfortable fully going back out there. He said he didn't want to rush it. He knows this is an important time, and he wants to be there for the rest of this important stretch for the Blues. And he was injured on New Year's Day. They said he'd be reevaluated after four weeks. Here we are on the 24th. And he and Krug will be back tonight. Meanwhile, the Blues have been riding the wave, and it's not been easy. As a matter of fact, they're 3-3 three and three on their current homestand, and right now would be out of a playoff spot. So we all feel like we're riding a roller coaster. What's the coach think? I don't know if I just put it on certain people. The, the game, or the, the team, it's 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 on everybody. You know the the inconsistency. Um, again, you know you look back an eight game losing streak. That's tough. It's hard. You, you know that's a tough recovery. You know from what are we eleven six and three in our last nineteen? That's not a bad record now at home here i wish you know we should have two more wins here at home and make a big difference but um listen you know we're 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 focused on tomorrow's game that's the one we got to win and then we'll go on the road and and go from there brooke when you look at the the body of work and, and this just look at where they are right now and they're six points out of playoff spot so that's not great but when you look at the injuries and you look at the the players that Craig Bruby has had to coach, he's actually done a pretty darn good job, personally. I think the, the team has been very well coached, even though they aren't a playoff team right now. Yeah, I, I think that that's a pretty fair assessment because, look, these injuries that are happening to these players are not, you know, guys who are not one of your top guys. These are your top six fours. You have Vladimir Tarasenko, Ryan O'Reilly, your captain, Tori Krug as well. I mean, these are guys who are highest on your payroll who've been injured. But, you know, you could also say there's a lot of teams who experience that. That eight-game losing streak that the Blues, and they keep mentioning this over mm-hmm. and over again, that really, whatever was happening there, which injuries were a part of it, but also the lack of team chemistry, that really set them back. And now they are trying to claw their way back in. You have to really commend Jordan Cairo really finding his game. He's leading the Blues in points right mm-hmm. now. Robert Thomas as well. Would I like to see him shoot the puck a little bit more? Yeah. Of course, yes. And also, we didn't even mention Pavel Buchnevich is kind of a question mark going into right. tonight as well but he's been fantastic for the Blues as well too. So the Blues will play tonight and we mentioned Tage Thompson is coming into town and I know there's a lot of people today that'll say man I wish we still had him and not that Chris Kerber doesn't wish we still had Tage Thompson. <laughs> I think everybody would like to have Tage Thompson on their team but there is a flip side to having Tage Thompson coming in as a member of the opposition tonight. Anybody anybody that looks back at that trade in any way other than saying it was a massive success for the Blues is out of their freaking mind. Like, and, and, and you know what? And if anybody takes that stance, they're either, one, just trying to get under somebody's skin, or two, it's just the kind of person you go, okay, from now on, your opinion about any sport or, frankly, anything in life means absolutely nothing uh, whatsoever. So at that point in time, they should just read a book and leave everybody alone. Because like, what do you think? Uh, yeah, be- opinions about anything in life. If you don't like the Tage Thompson trade, your opinion doesn't count. 
I agree with Curbs 100%. I agree, too. Well, I mean, he did go a little extreme there towards the yeah. end, but he has a very fair point because I didn't believe it at first either that there was people who actually had this take. Mm-hmm. But then you go on social media and you're like, seriously? You, just going back in time, you get a time machine, you would go back and say, no, let's not do that trade. You're not going to bring in Ryan O'Reilly, the man that helped this franchise get its first ever Stanley Cup you would take that back? There's no way. And here's the thing. Tage is very talented. We're all seeing that right now. And I think it stings a little bit more because obviously Ryan O'Reilly's out. He hasn't had exactly the best or most consistent season. And Tage is like that new little shiny toy that you're like looking and you're like, oh, I once had that. Now look at how great it is over there. And he's also an all-star. And by the way, he has 61 points. The next closest is Jordan Kyrou with 45 points mm-hmm. for the Blues. So I get it stings. But you would you really want to take back winning the Stanley Cup with That's Ryan O'Reilly? No. No. It's and I there's no way in any sport that I would give up a championship. No. If if a guy like if Matthew Libertor finally turns into something and he winds up being a key part of the Cardinals winning a World Series, then I'm fine with the trade. Doesn't matter what Randy Rosarena does. If Tage Thompson becomes a Hall of Famer, like Brett Hall did here when we traded a Stanley Cup. And Ramage and Wamsley to Calgary. If Tage Thompson becomes a Hall of Famer, we got our championship out of it, and I'll take it. Matthew, did you want to weigh in here? It's just the hindsight on, on trades. 100%. Is just, it, it's insane to me. It's the same thing when people, you know, do the you know kind of results oriented thinking. You know, the night after the after a game, instead of th- looking at the actual thought process in the moment, instead of just looking at if it worked or not. It's just you know, it's it's a disease that all fans seem to have, and I just I don't understand how. In the moment when you thought about Tage Thompson, no one cared that he was a six-seven center in the moment. It, well, no one, no one cared that he was this outsized player. And Blues fans, they liked Vladimir Saboka too. So uh, <laughs> you know, there's 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 big, a lot of that. Big there. Patrick Berglund fans around yeah. these parts. Yeah, tonight at five o'clock, the Baseball Hall of Fame inductees for 2023 will be announced. And on that list, and one of the people that has a great chance to make the Hall of Fame is former Cardinal third baseman Scott Rowland. We're going to talk to Tom Verducci of MLB Network at the bottom of the hour. But right now, the two guys that seem to be the favorites are Rowland and the former Rockies first baseman Todd Helton, who's gotten a lot of traction in the votes in the ballots that have been made public so far. I mean, you would be surprised if Scott Rowland didn't get in, right? Yeah, I would. A hundred percent. Yeah, he's and Matthew and I were talking about this before the show. Think about Larry Walker, who's already in. Roland Pujols, and then Jim Edmonds, uh, borderline a Hall of Fame mm-hmm. guy. Half of a starting eight for the 2004 Cardinals was either borderline or certain Hall of Famers. Pretty good team. Yeah. That was great. So that's what we've got for you here on 101 ESPN. We are off and running. As we mentioned, Tom Verducci at the bottom of this hour. Darren Pang will join us coming up at 8.30. We're also going to talk to Ross Chaffetz about the new St. Louis pickleball team. That's coming up at 9.15. But coming up next, the divisional round is over in the NFL. And Brooke and I have four downs here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Brooke and Randy, the divisional round of the NFL playoffs is complete. Time for four downs. First down. And, Brooke, I get Cowboys fans hating on Mike McCarthy for the seven-point playoff loss at San Francisco on Sunday. 
But it was McCarthy's 10th playoff appearance in his last 14 seasons as a head coach. That's pretty good. This team went 12-5. and And on Sunday, after spending a week preparing a game plan for Tony Pollard, their most explosive running back, he broke his leg in the first quarter and they didn't have him. As we mentioned, Dan Quinn's defense allowed three drives that took up a third of the game. McCarthy didn't hire Dan Quinn as his defensive coordinator, and he didn't get the players that were physically overwhelmed by the offensive line of San Francisco. Sometimes things are out of a head coach's control, and Sunday was one of those for McCarthy. Here's a quick primer. If you lose your most explosive player who was the centerpiece of your game plan, and your defense is physically overwhelmed, and you're playing the best team in your conference on the road and lose by seven, that's not a disaster. That's my first down. Mm, yes, yes. Things happen in football. You know, only one team can win, and this time the best team won. I, I think that that's, that's pretty fair, yeah. I would say. He could have he done an immaculate coaching job, and if he doesn't have Pollard and he has the physical abilities that his team had and goes on the road against San Francisco, losing by seven. Isn't bad. it the most Cowboys yeah. thing ever? Whenever I was yeah. watching that game, I was like, of course. Yeah. This would happen to the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. And here's the thing is we have... It's not we, it's big ESPN, it's the mothership. Yeah. They have dumbed down football so much that it's quarterback against quarterback and nobody pays attention to the big guys anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's how you win games, it's with your big guys beating the other team's big guys. Yeah. Especially when you think about the Dallas Cowboys. When when yeah. when were they in their most dominant period? When was the point where we were talking about them being the favorites? Great and, offensive the losses, and the losses actually being a disappointing factor? It's when they were able to dominate in the trenches, but it was dumb coaching decisions by a guy who probably did deserve to get fired and was eventually let go as opposed to again maybe just being a little bit outmatched when you no longer have the most crucial part of the game actually you know flying second down all right for me it's joe burrow and zach taylor deserve all of the hype right now those two are so exciting together joe burrow joe cool joe shiesty he has that chip on his shoulder you like to see that now before i say this you're gonna be like okay how is the first overall pick in the NFL draft overlooked. I feel like he was kind of overlooked in some of this narrative, especially going into this weekend because of all the hype surrounding possibly a Bills-Chiefs matchup at a neutral site. Joe Burrow leaning into that. He posted on Instagram uninvited guests and Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor having a little fun in their post game. Yeah, we, we just we had our mindset to go play in Kansas City and, and uh it, 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 I, it is it is tough because they they have to formulate the plans for coin tosses and they got to formulate the plans for neutral side games and we just keep screwing it up for everybody and I hate that. Everyone talking about a neutral AFC championship game, not even thinking about you guys. How much did that motivate you coming into this? You better send those refunds. you better send those refunds i love that i love the chip that he has on his shoulder the confidence that he has right now and then also that instagram post on top of it the uninvited guests you gotta love that not that the Bengals are exactly underrated but i think that a lot of people definitely had a little bit more hype on the bills especially for the playoffs and he is the new joe cool and he is now, he's lifting a city with him. That's hard for an athlete to do, but that city is kind of starting to reflect the Joe Burrow swagger, which is is pretty darn cool for him to, an Ohio guy, to mm-hmm. have that sort of impact, not only on the franchise, but on the entire community. Third down. 
Brooke, this is Nick Sirianni, the Eagles head coach, on Saturday after an injured Jalen Hurts led his team to a playoff win over the Giants. I know this is high praise, but to have him out there is like having, uh, nah, I, mean, I shouldn't even go there, but like he's having like Michael Jordan out there. Like He's your leader. He's your leader. He's your guy. He's your, like, like that's the, hopefully that's the biggest respect I can pay to him. Oh, it is. Notice Sirianni, one of the best coaches in America at the moment, didn't compare it to LeBron. You know, didn't say, oh, yeah, well, he's, he's going to carry us to a championship. Because LeBron would carry you to the finals sometimes and not the not the championship. Or Nikola Jokic. You didn't compare Whoa. him to him. Or even Steph Curry. No, he compared Jalen Hurts to the GOAT. And if you're going to make a comp, you might as well make the comp to the GOAT. And that's exactly what Nick Sirianni did. And he said he shouldn't go there because he knows he's putting pressure on the guy, and he did. But I think Jalen Hurts embraces it. I, when I listen to Jalen Hurts, I get the feeling that he loves the idea of being compared to the greatest of all time. I, I've seen a lot of people come after him for those comments because it is almost unfair to compare somebody to MJ, especially this early on in mm-hmm. Hurts' career. I, that is a lot of pressure put on a player. Now, do I think Jalen Hurts cares that much? No. I'm sure he sees it as a compliment, which is what it is. But is it exactly fair? We always see this, I feel like, every few years of coaches comparing players to MJ and his greatness. Mm-hmm. Is it fair? Eh, nah. But it is the highest compliment you can give one of your players. It can be, it, yes. It, it, if you're in any sport and you compare your guy especially his ability to lift those around him to greater heights, to Michael Jordan, then the the players should embrace that and say, wow, my coach loves me. Yeah, yeah. He should feel the love right now. Fourth down. Okay, so you're talking about Michael Jordan. I start thinking about that flu game. Well, we just had what I would call the ankle game with Patrick Mahomes, right? Mm -hmm. Patrick Mahomes continuing to prove that he's somehow superhuman, different than the rest of us, playing through that. Of course, he was a little bit hobbly. He wasn't playing as well in that. But still, Patrick Mahomes continues to prove to everybody he will find a way to win games. You also have to give credit to Chad Henney and his ability to go out there and kind of take over in a very stressful situation. Well, he's 37 years old. He should be able to do that, right? But also... Something else that I noticed as well that I think kind of helps the Chiefs going into this weekend is Travis Kelsey and his ability to really be a huge resource to the Chiefs in every single way. I mean, Andy Reid was able to move him around as much as possible in the formations, and it's just you could tell how big of an asset Travis Kelsey is, how important of a tight end he is, and how big of a role he is, and how he helped Patrick Mahomes in this ankle game. One of the things that you can do when you have great athletes is just get it into the hands of that guy. Speaking of Michael Jordan, if the Bulls ever had a problem, just look for 23 and get it into his hands. If you're Patrick Mahomes, just find number 87. He's going to be open and get it into his hands. And there have been a lot of quarterbacks that have made gallant performances. Heck, one time in an AFC Championship game, Phillip Rivers played on a torn ACL. But the difference here is that Mahomes won. And I'll be really interested to see, because we know he's going to be on the field on Sunday. He wouldn't miss this this game for the world. No. I'll be really interested to see how effective he is and if they're able to come away with a victory. If he beats Cincinnati, 
even though it's at home, if he beats Cincinnati on that ankle, that's just going to add to the legend of Patrick Mahomes. We'll all remember. That'll be the ankle game, right, Brooke? That, that, that'll way, that'll yes. be the one where, wow, he led his team to the Super Bowl on an ankle that he couldn't even feel. Yeah, and also going back to Travis Kelsey, too, he caught two touchdowns and finished with 14 receptions, the most in a playoff game by a tight end since the 1970 AFL-NFL merger. That's incredible in itself. You think about how they were going to pick up for losing Tyreek Hill, and people wondered. But Kelsey has picked up more of that slack than the other receivers. He's the go-to guy. As much as we all like what they've done with Juju Smith-Schuster and how Sky Moore has kind of become part of their deal, and Pacheco, at least out in the flat, Kelsey is seeing the ball 50% more, and it's incredible that nobody can cover the guy. Well, now it makes a little bit more sense why Patrick Mahomes was a little bit more cool, calm, and collected when Tyreek Hill was exiting and made some of those comments on his way out, Mm -hmm. because Mahomes knew, hey, we got Travis Kelsey back here, and Patrick Mahomes is just extremely gifted and talented. It'll be interesting to see how it goes this weekend. I think that there are players, quarterbacks in the NFL that elevate those around. I mean, you see Schuster, you see Marquez Valdez, uh, Scantling, you see a lot of those guys. And people that have left Kansas City that Mahomes has elevated, I think in a way, Kelsey has elevated Mahomes, too. Mm-hmm. And you, you can't take that away from him. That is Brooke. I'm Randy. And that's four downs in the NFL. Today is Hall of Fame Day in Major League Baseball. Greg Amzinger and his crew will have all of the coverage tonight on MLB Network. And Scott Rowland hopefully will be added to Baseball's Hall of Fame. We're going to talk to a guy that's going to be a big part of MLB's coverage Tom Verducci of MLB Network is next with Brooke and Randy on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And he hits one into left field. Back at the track at the wall. It's a 1-1 game. Scott Rowland gets his first home run in the postseason. Since 2004, when he went deep off Roger Clemens in Game 7 of the NLCS. Now Roland with a chance to give the Cardinals a lead for the first time tonight. Which he does. Is it good? Yeah. Roland, deep left field. Mora going back at the track. Gone! Red slam! Scotty Roland! Hey. That's Brooke Grimsley. I'm Randy Carricker. It's 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And today, hopefully, is the day that former Cardinal Scott Rowland will be elected to Baseball's Hall of Fame. And MLB Network is going to have nine hours of coverage that gets underway at the top of the hour. Joining us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line is MLB Network's Tom Verducci, who is going to be a huge part of the coverage today. Tom, thanks for joining us here in St. Louis. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, yeah. It's always a big day on the baseball calendar. Always look forward to it. And based on your observations, the other voters that you talk to, what do you think of Scott's chances today? Man, he's right on the borderline. Of course, 75%, that's the threshold you need to get elected to the Hall of Fame. And I'm going to be optimistic and say that he's going to just edge over that line. But, man, it's going to be super close. And the way I see it right now, it's for this vote anyway, Scott Rowland or a shutout. Wow. Uh, wow. So, uh, you know what I, I thought, Tom, at least until the last couple of days, I thought that Andrew Jones would make more of a run. It looks like Helton is actually making more of a run than Andrew Jones is. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think Helton is definitely picking up some more votes here. Um, and you look at Scott Rowland's trajectory. It's been amazing. I mean, if he does get elected, and I think he gets elected either this year or next year, if he does, it'll be an unprecedented climb for someone who had, I think it was 10% support his first year. Um, I think the all-time record for the lowest first-year support for someone eventually elected by the writers, not by a committee, is 17% by Duke Snyder. And you've had both Helton and Roland both start out super low on the ballot, throwing Billy Wagner there as well. So I, I think when we compare you know, tracks of other guys who've been put into the Hall of Fame, I think voting patterns are a lot different. So historical comparisons don't always work apples to apples, but – uh, yeah, Roland has continued to pick up a lot of votes. That's why I think momentum has been on his side. Tom, what do you think that it is? Do you think that there's not many third basemen who've been elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame? Do you think that there is a reasoning for that? Yeah, I don't think there's any one particular reason. If Scott does get elected, I think he'd be only the ninth elected by the writers. And you think about, well, is there a bias? Are there guys who, you know, should have been elected that weren't? You're thinking about guys like Buddy Bell, uh, Greg Nettles. There's not obvious third basemen who've been left out. Um, I, I just think the position has changed over the years. I mean, first of all, when I look at Scott Rowland, to me what stands out is, you start with the offensive numbers. They're really good. But to me, his base running and his defense, when you combine those things, you don't really look at third baseman that way, right? We measure a lot of middle infielders with some of the things they do on the bases and defensively. But Roland, to me, was a complete package at that position. In fact, you look at third baseman with 300 home runs and 100 stolen bases. You think, well, you know, those aren't really super high thresholds. But there's only been a handful of guys that have ever done that at third base. you got Mike Schmidt, Beltre, Adrian Beltre is going to go in next year, first ballot, Chipper Jones, George Brett, and then Scott Rowland. That's it. So it's not like the position is just swimming with guys with huge numbers. Uh, and Rowland does stand out on those handful of guys who played the game really well on both sides of the ball. MLB Network's Tom Verducci with us on 101 ESPN. And today is Hall of Fame Day. All of the coverage on MLB Network, and it gets underway at 2 o'clock Central Time, and we'll head to the vote at 5. Tom, one more thing about Scott Rowland, and I know you're great at savoring what you're watching in baseball. 2004, Cardinals had Larry Walker and Albert Pujols and Rowland, and then Edmonds, who probably, if he played in a different era, would have been a Hall of Famer. Half of your starting eight was essentially borderline Hall of Famers. We think that's the best Cardinal team we've ever seen. They won 105 games. They get swept in the World Series by a team of destiny in the 04 Red Sox. But, man, did we have it good in that part of that decade. Yeah, I can't agree. I can't disagree with you. I think that team was absolutely loaded. I mean, Jim Edmonds, to me, was always a guy that should have been more, had more support, so he was able to stay on the ballot more than one year to kind of get this momentum we're seeing with Scott Rowland. It's interesting you bring up that team because I'm gonna, during the show today on MLB Network, I'm going to do a breakdown about what I think is Scott Rawls' most important at bat, and that was the tie-breaking home run in Game 7 off of Roger Clemens in 04. And what's interesting to me going back and looking at that is the Astros were up a run, Albert Pujols at the plate with a runner on third base, and Scott Rollins hitting behind him. And Phil Gardner, the Astros manager, goes out to the mound to talk to Roger Clemens. And, of course, with a veteran pitcher, you give him the option if you want to pitch to Albert Pujols or pitch around him. I mean, you're protecting a one-run game 
in a win-or-go-home game. And Clemens wants to go after Albert Pujols. Why? Partly because he's got Scott Rowland on deck. I thought that said a lot about Scott's uh, respect in the game and the stature that he did have. And, of course, Albert gets the double to tie the game, then Rowland hits the home run to put the Cardinals ahead. So, I, to me, that was a key moment to see the kind of respect that Roger Clemens, one of the all-time greats, gave to to, to uh, Scott Rowland to say, you know what, I, I just can't put Albert on and pitch around him uh, because I know Scott Rowland is sitting there, and he certainly came through besides just being that, that force, uh, intimidating force on deck. It seems like always this time of year, we always have two kind of the ethical questions that come up with the Hall of Fame ballot. Obviously, Barry Bonds not on the ballot, but Carlos Beltran, his role with everything with the Astros. But as a player, you would say 100% he should get in. What do you think about does he get in? Should he get in? Your thoughts on that? Well, he's not getting in his first year, and I think some of this is just a a reluctance just to check that box when the sign-stealing scandal of Houston is so fresh, and especially because Beltran's role in that was so prominent. You know, he was the only player mentioned in that report, active player on the Astros at the time, but there's a couple of reasons for that, because the Players Association didn't want those players cooperating. Beltran had just retired, so it was circumstantial that he happened to be the only one named, but... When you do read it, you understand that he was more than just a bystander or somebody who went along with this. Uh, He was very instrumental. In fact, the teammates, according to the Athletic, called him the godfather, that he wanted to really take charge of what was going. Remember, he played for the Yankees for three years. He gets there and he says, you guys are behind the times. Mm -hmm. And he comes up with a system to have the, the camera or at least the monitor close to the dugout. And then when the story broke, he lied about it. He said he wasn't aware of a center field camera, and they only stole signs legally. That wasn't true, obviously. Then he did his first interview with Yes Network, and he, you know, he basically said, listen, nobody told us to stop, and if they did, we would have stopped. And that's a lie as well, because Brian McCann's teammate told him to stop. Uh, of course, A.J. Hinch, the manager, broke a television monitor signaling to the players to stop, and he just kept doing it. So... Listen, I think he has Hall of Fame numbers. His numbers are almost identical to Andre Dawson's. The package of speed and, and power in center field is a rarity in the game. Um, but I, I just think the level of what he did in this game is so high. And, it, again, it's still so fresh in people's minds. I think eventually he might get in. Um, but to just check that box first year is hard for a lot of people. Tom Verducci, MLB Network. A couple of more things. Number one, we've had, I think, more than 50% of the closers in the Hall of Fame. We've had Eckersley. We had Lee Smith. We had Bruce Souter. And... Billy Wagner, to me, is the best left-handed closer of all time. I know that it's been a long time for, and Mariano Rivera, obviously, and Hoffman are the best ever. I think the best left-handed closer of all time is Billy Wagner. How do you look at him and his Hall of Fame viability? Yeah, I can't disagree with you. I think when you look at Wagner, what stops a lot of people is he didn't throw a 1,000 innings, um, and his postseason resume was short, and it wasn't very good. Um, but when you just break it down, you look at the universe of pitchers who threw at least 900 innings, which Billy did. I mean, he was as dominant a pitcher left or right as ever pitched in this game. When you look, he has the lowest strikeout, the lowest batting average against, the highest strikeout rate, uh, the lowest whip. I mean, this guy was just nasty on, on right-handers and left-handed hitters for a long time. You know, he's kind of a product of his times. He was a one-inning closer for the most part of his career. He wasn't asked to go get like Rivera, four or five, six outs sometimes. He did what he was told. So you have to go by the role that he played. And I, I just think his dominance against hitters 
is his single greatest argument to be a Hall of Famer. When you, you know, you're up there among the very best at limiting offense, that's what your job is. Uh, would you like him to have you know, more innings or, or maybe some more moments in the postseason? Sure, but I can't, hold against, I can't hold against him the way his managers used him, right? And that was the way he was used, and he did it really well. So he's been gaining traction, I think, because of the lack of 1,000 innings that's held him back. I think eventually he is a Hall of Famer. Um, let's see if he, he picks up some more votes this year. We have a segment coming up a little bit later about where we're going to discuss Cardinals greats that we think should have or should be in the Hall of Fame, at least. And top of my list is Kurt Flood. Is there any Cardinals players or Cardinals greats that you are kind of surprised haven't made it? Yeah, for years it was Ted Simmons, and I was so happy he got in. Um, he always stood out to me as one of those guys that I, I look, kind of look at outliers when I look at Hall of Famers, right? Like we talked about Roland and his complete package, Wagner and his what he does, does to limit offense. To me, Jeff Kent is a Hall of Famer because he's such an outlier offensively at second base. He hit like a first baseman. Um, so certainly Kurt Flood stands out in that regard. You talk about changing the game. Wow. I mean, that, that's a definition of a Hall of Famer. Uh, and I thought that way with Simmons as a switch hitting catcher who played a long, long time. He was just so good. And I was a Mets fan growing up, and it seemed like he always killed the Mets as well. So that's a, a personal angle. But those ones stand out to me. I would have no problem whatsoever of having Kurt Flood in, in Cooperstown at all. I think that's a great call. Last thing for Tom Verducci. I was sitting with Ozzie Smith the other night. We were talking about how when we watched Ted Simmons play, we knew he was a Hall of Famer. The same thing with Fred McGriff. And I love the new committees that are kind of righting some of the wrongs. The voters don't always get it right, in my mind. And you have an essay today that's voiced by the crime dog. And obviously, you believed that he should have been a Hall of Famer, too. Tell us about the essay that uh, the crime dog voiced that's going to appear today on MLB Network. Yeah, I think one of the cool things about this day, this Hall of Fame uh, election day, is it's so binary, right? You're either in or you're not. You either get to 75% or you're not. And once you're in, I don't think anybody really cares how you got in, how long it took. And I think Fred McGriff is a great example of that. Ten times on the ballot. I was shocked he didn't get more support. I voted for Fred every year. Uh, And now he's in through this uh, contemporary baseball committee. And that's all that matters. He's a Hall of Famer, right? And he'll always have that that kind of – stature that you know he's among the top one percent who ever played this game so the essay is about the weight and for fred i mean it took a long time you think about when he played the last game probably back in 05 i think it was and now you know scott Rowland, billy wagner all these names we mentioned you know jeff kent this is his last year his 10th year he's not getting in but i I think he's going to be the next mcgriff if you will where he gets on a veterans committee and he's going to go in unanimously it's like what are you people why (laughs) did you vote this guy in you know yeah so i agree with you said there's something to you know your perception of a player when you watch him it's not the be all in the end all we have a million stats and it's great we can break these guys down but there is something to the fame quotient and to me, McGriff and Kent and those guys have that fame quotient as well, where you shouldn't have to think too hard about it. So the essay is about rewarding these guys um, and the long wait to get into, let's face it, the highest honor you can give anybody in baseball. Well, I, I can tell you this because it happens every year on this date, is that I'll be sitting at home saying, you know, i got to get in for a workout. Oh, no, this next thing's coming up on MLB Network. <laughs> oh, I'm going to leave now. No, there's another thing coming up on MLB Network, and you know that I'm going to be on the couch all day watching you guys because you do such magnificent work. It'll be fun today. Tom, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Great to have you on the air here in St. Louis. 
I appreciate it so much, guys. Enjoy. Thanks. Take care. Tom Verducci, MLB Network, and he is great and probably the best baseball observer that wasn't mm-hmm. a, a former player that we have in our country. Yeah, I mean, I, I I loved his takes there, too, with some of the Cardinals that should be in the Hall of Fame as well in Cooperstown. I mean, it still surprised me that Kurt Flood isn't. How can, if you're going to have a contributor to the game category, how can Kurt Flood not be there? If Especially, and this is with all due respect to Marvin Miller, but Marvin Miller doesn't make the Hall of Fame unless Kurt Flood does, mm-hmm. right? Uh, well, he doesn't make the Hall of Fame unless he is influenced by Kurt Flood to start the pre- free agency process. That was Marvin Miller's impact on the sport, and he doesn't have that impact unless Kurt Flood has the courage to file suit, an antitrust suit against Major League Baseball. Yeah, an above-average player and Mm change the game forever with Mm -hmm. a letter. No doubt about it. That's Brooke Grimsley. I'm Randy Carricker, and our thanks to MLB Network and Tom Verducci. Coming up next, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 314-399-9646. We've got Take It or Leave It on the way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? Want to put it out there? If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, set it right back. Get your text into 314-399-9646 and give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. Grimsley and Matthew Rocchio. I'm Randy Carricker. It is the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Time for Take It or Leave It. We've got the text line open 314-399-9646-314-399. Yo-ho! That is the Air Comfort Service text line. And Brooke, I don't know if you've seen this, but 48-year-old Larsa Pippen, the former wife of one Scotty Pippen, is dating Michael Jordan's <laughs> son, Marcus, who's 32. And those two have gone, you're, you're big on the Insta, right? You're, you're an Instagram devotee. Uh, they have gone IG <laughs> official. Larsa and Marcus have gone IG official. Uh, take it or leave it, Brooke Grimsley. Larsa Pippen and Marcus Jordan is the cutest couple in America in 2023. Oh my God, you gotta leave that. You you know what you're saying there with that, Randy. You Come know on, what you're saying. Yeah. No, what is that? That is when I first like saw that on social media of them going out together. I was like, there's no way this is real. They just have to be friends, right? Because she essentially saw him grow up. Yes, uh, she was actually she started dating Scotty. Apparently, when Marcus was uh, playing oh, Nintendo as like a six-year-old, that's so weird. That's so weird. Oh, it's cute. And by the way, they go IG official with those two standing in front of a floral Michael Jordan jersey with uh, it. I guess it's kind of a, a blanket with the Jordan twenty-three. And there's Marcus and Larsa standing right in front of it, all for Scotty to see. I I can't believe it. I, and I wonder how her children feel as well, because she has a son that's close in age Older. to him. Older. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh, oh, okay. Yeah, that's totally normal. Nothing nothing weird to see there. Um, yeah, she gets around, you know? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to leave that one right. because that's that gives me the creeps. I think they're just the cutest couple. <laughs> I got chills. All right, take it or leave it. I'm going to go back to the Chiefs. By the way, it is kind of uh, a shame that uh, you know, they... She could 
play for the Cougars, right? She, <laughs> she is a Cougar. Yeah, she is. She, totally. she essentially is. Yeah. And he is a Cub. That is her little cub. Exactly. (laughs) Oh. All right. Take it or leave it. Mahomes and the Chiefs will find a way to win this weekend. All right. Um, Brooke, I'm going to leave this. I I think that, and I know we have a lot of Chiefs fans, and I hope that I'm wrong for their sake. But I just think that with the talent that the Bengals have, I think it's going to be very difficult for the matchups in the secondary to hold up. Hayden Hurst is playing really great at tight end. He's healthy now. When you have Boyd, you have Higgins, and then you have the big guy Chase. Hard to cover all three of those guys. And then last week we saw with the two running backs, a two-headed monster in the backfield, I think it's going to be very difficult for the Chiefs defense to handle that offense of Cincinnati the way it's playing. I think Mahomes will put up points. But I just don't know how the Chiefs defense stops Cincinnati enough. You're all in on Joe Cool, aren't you? I totally am, yeah. You're, you're all in. He seems to find the open guy. He's pretty good at that. Yeah. What do you think? I, look, I get the point. And actually, I think now, betting-wise, the Bengals are actually favored now in this matchup, matchup on the road. And they're very confident. I mean, offensively, as you mentioned there, they're complete, it feels like, all around. And we know the Chiefs defensively haven't exactly been great at times. They have, I believe, improved the season. And also, shout out to former Mizzou star Nick Bolton, who's been doing great for the Chiefs this season as well. I don't know. I think it's going to be a really close game. It's always hard for me to, though, discount Andy Reid and his ability to find ways to win and Patrick Mahomes as well. And by the way, for the championship games, we're going to have the championship bash at Helen Fitzgerald's. Join members of the 101 crew. Brooke will be there. Matthew will be there. I'll be there. I'm going to be there for the second game, by the way, that Chiefs game. Uh, Join the 101 crew, Car Shield, Bud Light, and David Taylor Ellisville for the AFC and NFC championship games. Tons of TVs to watch, food, drinks, music. The bash kicks off with live pregame at 11. Hope to see you Sunday at Helen Fitzgerald's for the champ bash. Brought to you by Car Shield, Bud Light, and David Taylor, Dodge Jeep Ram in Ellisville. To your texts, here's Matthew. Take it or leave it. After Sunday, Arrowhead Stadium will be renamed Burrow Stadium. Ooh. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave that, It's already been renamed G-E-H-A Stadium, has it not? Or is it G-E-H-A Field? I don't know. But no, they will not rename it Burrow Stadium. Mm Mm-mm. As much, maybe as much as Joe Burrow would like to. Or you you Mm. name it Cool Stadium, Joe Cool Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. More places need to get back to renaming, naming the stadium one thing and having the field be something different. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a good way. It's a to great do. play. I've, yeah. al- I've always loved that play. Uh, take it or leave it. The Cardinals make it past the first round of the playoffs this season. Oh, I got to take that. I would hope so. I, I feel like fans might be pretty upset if you don't finally get past yeah. the first round here, especially for Wayno's final season. Right. You have to believe he's going to give it his all. Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt are not okay with the way that things ended last year. And by the way, they owned their performances too. They did. Yes, they did. There's no way. It would be a huge disappointment to see them not get past the first round again. Yeah, so they will. Take it or leave it. <laughs> Larsa and Marcus stay together longer than MJ's baseball career. (laughs) I'll leave that. Leave it. uh, A year and a half? Yeah. Yeah, it's a year and a half. There's no way. There's no way. They've already been together for a while, though, if I'm not mistaken. But now they're IG officials. And that's that's when you end things, because now everything already knows. You get two news stories. This is a great question. It is. All right. So 
let's let's give it a let's say a year and a half from today. Take it or leave it. A year and a half from today, they're together. I'm I'm going to leave it by a smidge. I'm going to say they're together probably rather than eighteen months. I'm going to go like thirteen months. I, they, they break up on Valentine's Day of 2024. Wow. Yeah. The, that's that's a very bold prediction. I'm going to say that they're just going to, you know what? I'm going to go full in on this love story, this beautiful, totally not creepy love story of Larsa <laughs> watching him grow into the man that she loves now. That's She's been waiting for this, ah. right? Why is everybody saying this is creepy? This is like every guy's dream. Is it though? Eh, maybe not. Yeah, maybe. You just got to go and uh, do it. You know Google. what? Equal rights. Do, do, the, do the old Google search of Larsa Pippen. No, I, we call, our, creep, we call our creepy dudes doing this kind of stuff, too. Yeah. At least they're all of age. Oh, I think it's worse when guys do it. Yeah. It's He's 32. Le- How old is she? 48 or something. 48 or but she's something? Well, There's she's no well, way she's 16 year, only 16 years she's old. She's a, l- uh, let me put it this way. And I, I, not to offend, she is forty-eight. Wow, Brooke here, but uh, she's a well-preserved forty-eight. She's she's worked out. Yeah, no, she looks she looks good. Now we're all, all yep. of us are I'm looking Larsa at. Larsa Pippen, we're baby. all looking at her oh, right now. Yeah, sorry, she's forty-eight years old. Okay. Mm. I guess sixteen years isn't that bad. Yeah. How does I just? She's nine, I yeah, she's need nine years to know. Than, she's nine years younger than Scotty. I need to know how MJ feels about this. That would be really interesting to find out. Well, you know, him being the parent, he, you know, everybody, I'm sure you've dealt with it as well as a parent is maybe your child dates somebody you don't necessarily like, but you know, you can't say too much or the child will kind of pull away (laughs) from you. Yeah. So he's probably in that position right now. I wonder what he thinks of Scotty. He might like this (laughs) because Scotty's taken his shots at Michael over the years. Yeah. Michael, this might be like the ultimate. Shot it back at Scotty, right? <laughs> let's talk. Let's 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 talk about a relationship that doesn't bother me. Okay, take it or leave it. AJ McCarron leads the XFL in passing TDs. Totally oh take gosh. it. Yeah, sure, I'll take it. Have I seen anything? No, I said this yesterday that as well. Doesn't we're just, matter. We're They're all in win. on it. We're all in on the Battle Hawks over here. Yeah, I'm sorry. Does any oh. other franchise in the old XFL have a kickoff return for a touchdown? I don't think so. Hundred <laughs> percent. Wrap up that championship yep. trophy right now, ladies and gentlemen. Send it on to St. Louis. Yep. Yeah, we, we got a parade. We got a, we got a parade. Uh, Randy, this is not take it or leave it, but because we were talking about Larsa Pippen, somebody texted in and said, Randy, do you have any Scooty Booty updates? Yes. Uh, she had a baby. Let me get the latest. Uh, so she and Devin Bush had a baby. Um, I think they're even married. Uh, but yes, I do have a Scooty Booty update. Scooty Booty is Devin Bush's uh, significant other. And uh, they're just, they're a sweet couple as well. Wait, Devin Bush's? Yeah, from the Steelers. Like the, the uh, Steelers middle linebacker. Yeah, his wife is who we've been referencing multiple times on this show. Exactly. Yeah, that's uh, that's Scooty Booty. That is a, his that dad is was that obviously the other Devin Bush who played here, uh, played for the St. Louis Rams. Yeah, I'm sorry, Scooty Booty. I never put that together. Yeah, who's Scooty Booty? Scooty Booty. You just explained it. Devin, it's Devin Bush's uh, significant other. That's not a real name. No, it's, that's no, but she's brilliant. She's like a uh, dental hygienist or something. <laughs> what is happening? Yeah, well, people, pe- people want to know what's going on. Let's see, Scooty. I don't know where she is on the inset. Uh, I used to follow her, but it's, oh, I wonder no. if she deactivated her account. I don't know. Scooty Booty. Yeah. What is her okay, real name? I'm gonna during. I, I don't remember that. Shakur. We're gonna have to find Scooty. 
uh, because that th- this is troubling that I can't find her on the Insta. At some point during this show, we will find Scooty. Oh, here she is. Okay. Uh, my Scooty with the latest story on the Insta. She was eating food. Uh, but yes, they've got a youngster. And uh, I believe that she and Devin Bush are now uh, involved in Wedded Bliss, which is great. Is the youngster's name Scooty Booty the second? Uh, Scooty Booty Jr. We're going to have to find out and make this official. The baby is six months old. So congratulations to Scooty. Congratulations to Scooty Booty Jr. Yeah. Scooty Booty. Let's see. But after after that last game of the season, there's a photo of her with uh, Devin hugging on the field. They've been together for a while. So, yeah, she's doing well. So, she's you needed the her real name is Skirtelika and she is a dental hygienist in Pittsburgh. Take so, it or leave it. If you're going to criticize Larsa, you have to criticize Tom Brady. He's 45 and his new girlfriend is 25. Okay, I have something to say about That's that. That's a good point. This is not his girlfriend. How are people so easily fooled by this? Oh, I, this I've been sitting fake. on this. this. I'm sorry, you just like erupted a volcano. No way, we because, love your Instagram dive in. Hold no, on a second. Here's the thing. This girl, all she did was post a photo of herself wearing a Tom Brady jersey and she's a big Tom Brady fan and somebody out there said, this is Tom Brady's new girlfriend. Oh, is wow. she gorgeous? Yes. And they just keep putting her out there. He doesn't know who she is. He has said that. He's had to actually come wow. out and say that. She's even admitted it. She's just a fan, and people are linking them together. Hmm. It's not even his girlfriend. Okay, thanks for that clarification. We needed it. I, I've seen it all over social media. It's driven me right. nuts. Hey, <laughs> the opening drive, baby. This is where we break news here. Yeah, so a lot of drama there. On Take It or Leave It. More drama coming up. The Bruce Boudreaux <laughs> firing by the Vancouver Canucks. One of the worst in history. It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A fresh perspective on the day's top stories. It's the opening drive's fresh take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. Reward yourself. Earn 2% back on every purchase with the Schnucks Rewards app. Seven in St. Louis. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We have delayed the fight today. I know you expect the fight to be at 8.30. Today it's at 8.45 because Darren Pang is with us at 8.30. Now, the Blues play tonight. They play the Buffalo Sabres, and the pregame is at 6, the action at 7 here on 101 ESPN. And the Sabres have been through a lot of coaches over the years. Another team that's been through a lot of coaches, Brooke, is the Vancouver Canucks. And Sunday night, they fired their coach, Bruce Boudreaux, after a 12-game stretch in which they had gone 1-10-1 and against the best teams in the league. The interesting thing about the firing was that the media and the fans knew it was going to take place essentially for two full weeks. And everybody was writing about and talking about the fact that the replacement was going to be Rick Tockett. So the Canucks let Bruce Boudreaux, with the knowledge that they were going to fire him, twist in the wind for a couple of weeks and try to coach a team that knew he wasn't going to be around. And by the way, a team that loved him and the fan base loved him, too. Yeah, it, it just it made no sense to me because he has one stuck by your team. He said he was going to continue to stick by the team and to just let a coach who has, by the way, over 600 career wins just have to be publicly drug out like that 
For what reason? And he even came out and said this was a distraction for the players, which how could it not be? So not only are you publicly dragging somebody who has had a great career, has done a lot for your organization in a short time, but also you're distracting your own players. How is that How is that good in any way for the team? And I've seen the theory is maybe that Tockett had to finish up some stuff with TNT mm-hmm. and that's why you couldn't join right away. You didn't have to still, though, drag this out in the way that you did so publicly and for him. I mean, it just makes no sense. And the Blues, we've had rumors before Mike Yo, yes. before Coach uh, Baruby took over. We knew that Mike Yo was probably headed down the stretch of his career as the Blues head coach. But we've never had a situation where for a couple of weeks we've known that the coach was going to get whacked. If you go back to as bad as things were for Mike Kitchen and as bad as that coaching job was, when he got replaced by Andy Murray, it, it was during a Monday night football game in 06, and Kitchen got, gets fired. They bring in Andy Murray, and it was a mild surprise to everybody. And then when Murray gets fired uh, and they bring in Davis Payne, that was kind of a surprise that they, they did that. The point being that the Blues, regardless of the ownership, have maintained, and pretty much every other franchise, maintains a level of class and dignity and provides dignity to the coach that they're letting go. And by all accounts, a great guy, one of the all-time favorite coaches in the history of the Canucks, Bruce Boudreaux, would stop in coffee shops and on the street to talk hockey with fans. Just a beloved figure and a dysfunctional organization did him wrong. They did. And that, that was so emotional seeing, first of all, the fans were great for actually trying to give him a proper exit. I think that, you know, in any that coaching in general, uh, it seems like nowadays, whether it's college level, pro level, you know that it's not going to end in a pretty way. Right. Mm-hmm. It very yeah. rarely happens. So I think every coach is aware of that. And that's the nature of the beast. That's the nature of the business. But I haven't seen anything like this before where you're so publicly drug out and it's it was great by the fans to actually at least show their appreciation. I mean, seeing him on the bench, just tearing up, waving goodbye, that was so sad I to don't see. Know. Yeah, it really was. I don't know how an owner, Brooke, doesn't go to the people that he's empowered to make these choices and say, you can do it, but do the right thing. All they have to do is ask themselves, okay, am I doing the right thing? If you're the Canucks, and Jim Rutherford, apparently, when he got hired, knew he was going to get rid of Bruce Bruce Boudreaux. Yes. Right? So do it the right way, okay? If you're going to fire him, just fire him and move on to the next guy. The, The Florida Panthers leave Gerard Gallant standing on a curb as their bus takes off. Hey, do it the right way. If you're going to leave a guy, if you're going to fire a guy that way, get him an Uber, okay? Make sure that that car is there and that he's able to take off before your team does. If you're Bill Bidwill, Jim Hannafin finds out by trying to unlock the door to the office. He's taking his coaching staff out to dinner and a an assistant coach forgets that he's left his wife's Christmas present at the office. They try to get in and they've been locked out of the office because they've <laughs> changed the locks. Just it's not hard to do the right thing. It's not. It's not. I, I mean, and also that story being left on the curb. I, I don't know which one is worse. Honestly, I think the public drag out is it kind of almost <laughs> makes it look like a stretch limo is at least waiting for him or something like that when the other situation. But I feel like being so publicly drug out in this way, it's the worst kept secret. Everybody knows about it. 
it's just such a bad look for the organization. And what is there, what's going to be their damage control after this? Right. <laughs> They're just not going to talk about it, which also doesn't help because people will continue to be upset and disturbed by and this. That's the thing. If you're a fan, you want to have a, an organization, win or lose, that you can be proud of the way they go about their business. If you're a Canucks fan, you cannot be proud of the way they've gone about their business here. And that's no. that, that's a shame. At least with when we watch the Blues win or lose, or when we watch the Cardinals win or lose, they do things the right way. They do things with a level of class and dignity that make us as fans be proud. But I don't think, again, as a Canuck fan, that you can be proud of the way that's all unfolded. That's Brooke. I'm Randy. That's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN 813. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. By the way, we hope you're ready for the snow. Coming up, <laughs> yeah, we were, tomorrow when we come in, it's going to be snowy, I think. I, you actually surprised me with that. I had no yeah. idea. I was not prepared for the snow, so thank well, you for that. Go out and buy yourself a, uh, uh, a shovel. Uh, I have a friend in Phoenix that was complaining about the fact that it was supposed to get down to freezing. And I said, oh, poor you. We're going to have 68 <laughs> inches of snow. Uh, a lot of people had the 49ers and Bills to meet in this Super Bowl. But are those two teams, two franchises, headed in different directions now? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Well, two things. I, I think with Josh Allen, I, I just didn't like – this was coming, by the way. This was coming for Buffalo because they have never been able to run the ball or willing to run the ball all season long. And when you do that, it just makes it so hard on the quarterback. You know, you just play coverage all the time, and it's just going to be very, very difficult. So they've got to rethink how they're doing things I think, on offense up there. That is former Rams head coach Mike Martz with us yesterday here on the opening drive. Brooke and Randy on 101 ESPN talking about the fact that you could see Buffalo's problems coming. And they were apparent when you saw the way Cincinnati ran the ball with their two running backs and the way that Buffalo, A, couldn't and B, didn't even try to run the ball. But Brooke, I look at these two franchises and Buffalo had a wide window, had an opportunity last year, lost to the Chiefs in the divisional round and then obviously lost to Cincinnati on Sunday. And their quarterback, the great Josh Allen, has a salary cap number, uh, had a salary cap number this year of $39 million. That number goes up over the course of time where he's going to take up a greater allotment of the Buffalo salary cap. So next year he's going to take up $41.7 million. The year after that, $51.2 million of the salary cap. You look at the Bills and the fact that Von Miller doesn't have much longer to play, does have a relatively high salary cap number next year. Stephon Diggs, Tredavious White, they they have some people to sign, but they're going to have to make choices because they're up against the cap in regards to who they keep. The 49ers, on the other hand, are going to see the number of Jimmy Garoppolo come off the books this year. And Jimmy G's cap number for 2023, while not outrageous, was still relatively high in the $9 million range. They have a quarterback that is the second lowest cap number of anybody on their team. Brock Purdy is only $889,000 against the cap. They'll be able to sign their star players for the next four years because Brock Purdy is not going to be making big money 
and keep that window of opportunity open. Whereas I think the Buffalo window of opportunity, because of the number of veteran players they have that are entering free agency and because of the Allen contract, I don't think they'll be able to keep that group together. No, and you could also see there towards the end things just really unraveling for the Bills, right? As we mentioned, a team that everybody was really high on, a team that I thought legitimately had a shot at being one of the two in the Super Bowl, it just seems like they just unraveled and they unraveled quickly. One of the biggest things is they obviously need a little bit more help in the running back position. Mm -hmm. That's clear. Also, I just want to point out, too, Stefan Diggs, his frustration as well was really clear. Even getting frustrated with Josh Allen, I know that Josh Allen said that, look, that's just him being passionate and a competitor. But then Diggs took to social media and he had this to say, want me to be okay with losing? Nah. Want me to be okay with our level of play when it's not up to the standard? Nah. It's easy to criticize my reaction more than the result. That's you. I feel like that just encapsulates a lot of the frustrations that the Bills have with how their season ended. Agreed, a hundred percent. And I would think a guy like Stephon Diggs can probably see the end of the line, wouldn't you? He's, yes, he's getting up there, and he knows that there is a finite amount of time for him to win a Super Bowl. And the reason that he took the trade to. Buffalo from Minnesota is because he saw an opportunity to win in Buffalo that he didn't think he would have in Minnesota. Lo and behold, Minnesota goes almost as far as Buffalo does in the playoffs. So if, if I'm Diggs, I, I he's probably looking at the same thing we're looking at, is that they're going to have to make choices on players and they aren't going to be able to keep him around. Stefan, by the way, just completed his age 29 season. You get to be a 30-year-old receiver and you start to see the end of the line and he doesn't turn 30 until next November, but I can absolutely see where he's coming from. Do you agree with me that these are two teams that could be heading in different directions? Because San Francisco, granted, they gave up a lot of capital, draft capital, to get Trey Lance, but they're going to be able to sign Bosa to a big contract. They're going to be able to sign their defensive backfield. They already have Warner under contract. They already have Trent Williams under contract. They're going to be able to keep their other stars because the quarterback isn't making money, whereas Buffalo is going to have to let stars walk away in free agency. When you're good, we know it. Other teams want your players in free agency. For example, Roger Saffold, nice player for them, older, but nice player for them. They're going to be able to keep him around because of the Josh Allen contract. Well, the 49ers, just to your point, and I agree with you, just feel like they're in a perfect position right now. Everything is set up perfectly for them to continue to have success despite what happens this weekend right and Christian McCaffrey I still that that has worked out so well for the 49ers as well and keeping him there will be huge too the Bills it's just they're gonna have to make a lot of decisions this offseason right Mm -hmm. because I mentioned the running back as well position they're gonna have to go find like a legitimate threat there but also I mean I feel like Von Miller needs help as well. I mean, there's a lot of issues that they have to address, whereas the 49ers seem like their problems are less than. Yeah, no doubt about it. And by the way, I don't know why I thought this. I thought that when the Panthers traded Christian McCaffrey to San Francisco, I thought, oh, well, it's a a, a salary dump. He's under contract with a cap hit of $12 million next year. And in 2025, a cap. So 2020, 
The 2023 season, he's got a $12 million cap hit. He's under contract. 2024 and 2025, and cap hits of $12 million. So they've already got him locked down. And by the way, they Trey Lance has a cap hit of uh, $9 million because he was the a top pick in the draft. They can trade him if they can find somebody to take Trey Lance off their hands or if they decide that Purdy is the guy and they don't want to pay Trey, uh, Trey Lance, that can save them another $10 million. They're really set up well to have a four- or five-year run in San Francisco. Unfortunately, we have a lot of Bills fans in St. Louis. I don't think Buffalo is set up for a, for a run like that. Is there a big Bills fan base here in St. Louis? I because, didn't know that. Yeah, because when the football Cardinals left after 87, we didn't get the Rams until 95. That's when the Bills were great and went to the four consecutive Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people in their formative football years glommed on to the Bills because they were winning. So Donnie Fandango down the hall is as big a Bills fan as there is. There's, you, you, just watch. We'll have people text in now. Text in if you're a Bills fan to our text line, 314-399-9646. And we love you, but we feel for you, and we're just trying to talk reality. I, I need There's to see. There's a amount of 49er that... fans, too. Yeah. yeah there are. For that exact, yeah. the exact same reason. Like my dad, my dad before the Rams came, he became a 49ers fan because he was like, that was the most, that was easily the most fun team to watch in the NFL and we didn't have a team. What do you want me to do? Yeah, I just get the sense that the, maybe they're just more vocal and yes. visible. Because of the, the Bills Mafia. Yeah, because then the Rams came in, you were in a division and it got, you know, got a little heated there actually for a little bit with the 49ers. Yeah. I, I guess I need to look for some more broken tables then around St. Yeah, Louis. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Not anymore because they're done. Yeah. Our boy Donnie just down just down the uh, down the hallways a, a diehard Bills fan. Right, we were just that, talking about that. That yeah. was my first. That was my first thought when they when they lost. I was like, oh, Donnie, that yeah. sucks. Poor guy. So that's just something to keep an eye on. Is during the off seasons the the long term viability of the Bills. And by the way, I think Josh Allen's one of those guys that if you have him on your team just because he's there, it gives you an opportunity to win. But it, this is not tennis, and I think that's one of the things that we have to keep an eye on for them. And maybe they'll be able to draft and, and do really well, but I, did, I would have real concerns about their viability in terms of winning Super Bowls as opposed to the San Francisco 49ers. Let's check here, by the way. Uh, yeah, There's quite a few Steeler fans in town. Yeah, the Steelers nation is huge, Chiefs fans, obviously. But uh, it just seems like the, the Bills Mafia is a more vocal group. Than, than other franchises. That's Brooke. I'm Randy. Coming up, we're going to talk some blues hockey with our buddy Darren Pang here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. With Brooke Grimsley, I'm Randy Carricker. It's the opening drive on 101 ESPN. The Blues in action tonight against Buffalo. Darren Pang will not be on the Blues broadcast tonight. He's headed out to do some TNT work tomorrow in Edmonton. Panger, good morning. How you doing? Good morning to you both. Uh, you've sent uh, Kerry off, huh? Yeah, he's he wanted to avoid this winter storm that we're going to be dealing what with, apparently. What a softie, huh? What a soft. Those totally. football guys, they're so soft. It's <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. It's really crazy. Huh? And we'll mention that to him when he comes back next week. Well, well, you've got a great hockey person with you this morning. Brooke, good morning to you. Good morning, Panger. How's your neck doing, by the way? It's You know what? It's okay. Thankfully, uh, Dr. Mike Murphy of the Blues and his, uh, and his 
chiropractic team have been putting me in good shape. I think I'm I'm ready to roll. I'm getting better. That's Thank you fan- for asking. Fantastic. Hey, Panger, I want to start with this, and it's not blues related, but you know all the teams and you know all the people, and hockey has so many good people. With that being the case, what's your take on what happened with Bruce Boudreau in Vancouver? Not ideal. Uh, I mean, felt terrible for him the whole way. Uh, worst kept secret in all of hockey. I don't know. Managerial lessons 101 <laughs> learned all the way around. I, I, I mean, I've, I've not seen anything like this, and we've seen an awful lot in the game of hockey, but um, totally, for me, it's just a totally unfair situation to put a guy, any person, uh, let alone a guy that's been around the game for as long as a guy we call Gabby, Bruce. Um, I've known him for a long time. I played against him uh, in the minors going back to the old IHL days. We actually spent a a little bit of time together in Halifax with the Oilers back in like eighty six, eighty seven together. I mean, that's that. I mean, we go back a long way. I, I, uh, I, I, I feel like there's better ways to do things. There's better ways to treat people. But I, you know, on the other side of it, I'll tell you what, he and his wife, uh, they've been married what twenty eight years. They've been together a long time, and they handle it unbelievably well. Yeah. They took the high road, and I, I, uh, I commend them for all of that. And uh, you know, he went in there trusting a guy that he'd known for a while and and uh, at the end of the day um got kind of thrown under the bus so the uh there's a lot to do there in vancouver it's a hot spot if you guys haven't been to vancouver or don't go go on social media during any kind of crisis in vancouver or it's a it's a hard place boy they're very cynical and critical and their the radio shows are tough and they everything's tough so for rick Tockett to go in there in these circumstances um, it's it's you know it's not going to be an easy one, but I do believe that Rick has a kind of personality to be able to handle uh, the the noise that goes on around there. Panger, it seems like we keep going over this over and over again with the Blues. You know they have some highs and then they go through some lows. It's been such a streaky season for them. What do you think that it is at this point? I know that there's been a lot of injuries. Do you factor in the injuries as this is a reason why we can't see the Blues play consistently right now? That's a, it's a great question, and I would be a really good analyst if I had an <laughs> unbelievable answer for you. Um, you know, I, I guess I've never been one to really go down the excuses um, you know, line, but, but there's always, you know, there's going to be always times where you you can't win hockey games because of a lack of skill. I mean, you can grind it out forever, um, but at the end of the day, the teams that are at the top teams have, you know, let's say six forwards that can be difference makers, and, and, and I don't mean in soft games, and I mean in the hard games, you know, the, the, the play the game, you know, the, the way you have to play the game to win, but... So for for sure, there's been times where they've missed some of these players, especially, you know, I've watched the power play sometimes. I go, oh, boy. Then I go down the list. I go, yeah, you know, you, you can really tell that Tory Krug's not out there. Uh, or you go through different moments of uh, of getting great scoring chances, five on five, and you go, boy, Vladdy's wrist shot probably would have got in there. Or you, you know, so anyway, you can go down the entire line. Boy, there's a big face-off right there, and is number 90 jumping over the boards to take it? No. He's hurt too, um, so that that's where that's where you can go down that list and go. Okay, yes, if we had player A, B, C, or D, Brooke, I think uh, I think we might have a different outcome. Um, but I will say this: that that game against the Chicago Blackhawks for me wasn't about skill. It was about working as hard as Chicago did. You know, I, I just didn't think that at the end of it all uh, that the Blues 
you know, that they, they, they were determined enough, especially two power plays early on against a goalie that's never played in the NHL. I mean, I said it on the air a number of times. I mean, that's the opportunity to get pucks towards the net. Lots of pucks. The kitchen sink. You know, everything towards the goaltender. And that didn't happen on two straight power plays to begin a game. That's an area for me that we could have buried the team and that goaltender early on. And uh, and instead it went the other way. And I, I'm not big on blaming Jordan Biddington on that kind of game. I, I really didn't think he was able to get in any kind of role or rhythm in the first one. He had no chance on the second one. Certainly was a, a goal that surprised him and was one that, uh, that, that he stops 95% of the time. Um, so that, that was not a good one in my opinion. Uh, but that's not enough for, for you to lose the game and to have a goaltender pulled against a team that's almost at the bottom of the ne- entire NHL. Panger, have you already made a judgment after 47 games on a team? I, I kind of feel like this is what we're going to have, and I wonder if Doug Armstrong has made a judgment on this team, even with the injuries already. That's the toughest part about being a manager in this position. Uh, Army's in the same boat as a, as a number of of teams and general managers, um, I guess we could go down the list. If you're looking at the standings right now and you see the Blues are at 49 points, um, Calgary got one point. Um, they get the one point. No, they got the two points last night. They won an overtime against uh, Johnny Hockey last night. Um, who's falling off? Is it Mini? Because above Mini, I don't see any fall off. Dallas and Winnipeg are locked in. So now you've got the third spot against Mini. Does Army think that the Blues are good enough to beat Mini? Like I do. So now you're going, okay, well, we've got to hang tough here with this group. Okay, Nashville? Absolutely. The Blues, for me, are a, are a more hardened team and a better team. Colorado? Okay, they, I think they're going to slide up that window. Is, is Calgary going to drop out? Somebody has got to drop off right there. And if you're that close... You look at probably the good games that the Blues play, and you say, okay, is that our team? And if that's our team, then, boy, I don't want to tear it apart and give them no chance whatsoever. But if that's not our team, and I don't see in the next three weeks that there's that consistent model of a hard team to play against and a team that's going to give it every single night and a team that's not going to just kind of cash it in during the course of a hard game, well, then, then, then I believe that the Blues can surprise a lot of teams because they still have something inside that room that scares a lot of teams. And I'm including Dallas, Winnipeg. I'm including Vegas, Seattle, the L.A. Kings, the Edmonton Oilers, and the Calgary Flames. You don't think they can beat any one of those teams in a seven-game series? Because I do. So, I, I, I do. I, I think they can. I, and I guess the decision that... that Army is going to have to make in the last week of February is, do I think this team can win a cup? Because as much as those players have done for the Blues, you can't let great assets walk out the door for nothing That's unless correct. you do it after winning a cup. No, that is that is correct. And Army's done a good job of that. I mean, when you think of uh, you know main, main players walking away, two former captains walked away in, in Petro and, and, and David Backus. And I guess, I guess if, you, if you were allowed to climb inside the walls and say, who's he getting the most amount of calls for? I mean, what, what teams are calling? And are the, is it the, let's just, let's just go hypothetically, is it the Carolina Hurricanes that need skill right now because they just found out that Max Pacioretty is going to be done for the year? Are they calling and, and making an offer so significant, you know, for a top player um, let's just say I'm just going to go Vladdy because it's, he's an unrestricted free agent. Sure, yeah. Or, you know, um, or, or Ryan O'Reilly, for that matter. And, and Army's looking at it, and, and the offer is that significant. And the prospect 
pool that they have is, is one that Army can go, wow, we can turn this around in a hurry and maybe even re-sign our guy in, in the offseason. So, you know, that could be a yes. Or it could be that those offers aren't there because the teams that are good teams don't want that top-end skill. They need the bottom-end skill, so they go, Ivan Barbashev, that's my guy. Mm-hmm. I need to have that guy. And now the offer is so good, and you get something back where, oh, you know what, for the short term, maybe we can place that, replace that kind of player so I can make that move. And, it, and it, you know, whatever move I'm talking about doesn't make our team a team that's not going to still challenge for it, but I'm going to make sure that I move a guy that's an unrestricted free agent, but I still get some assets back, and we're still good enough to plug along here and maybe make the playoffs. So tough, tough questions, and tough for Army and his staff to be going through this right now. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't imagine <laughs> what how much stress that would be to to undergo that right now. Now, Panger, I remember when I first started out here, you came over for Blues Weekly over at News 4, and it was when the Blues were literally last in the NHL standings. <laughs> and you were the first person to say, this team, they're going to pull it together, and they did. And guess what? They won a Stanley Cup. I, I feel like you have a crystal ball prediction. Is this a playoff team? Yes, this is a playoff team. Yes, it is. It's a playoff team when they pull on the same rope. It's a playoff, it's a playoff team for sure because there's too many guys in that locker room that care, and there's other guys that have signed short-term deals that are really good players, like the Noel Acharis as a, a really good example. Um, and when I see this team play when they won seven games in a row or they go into a tough building and play the way a five-man unit plays, Brooke, then I say yes. The reason in 2018 and 19 that I really believed in that team is because it took them so long to come together as a group with so many different personalities. But being between the benches, I saw a group of guys that had something. They, they barked at the other team. They never gave up. They pushed back. Um, and then at that particular point, they defended the front of the net really, really well. And I saw that change. And that's why I believe that they could win. This team has to be better at defending the front of the net, for sure. I think we still give up a lot of quality chances right in the high slot but but then I've seen some games where everybody's on board where Pareko's he's on the inside and he's you know protecting that crease and he's protecting Jordan Bennington like you read about like there's no tomorrow like it's game seven and I go that's the way you got to play and same with the you know with Falk and now we're going to see that Tory Crew's going to play again tonight and we're seeing some advancement with, with Tuck, Tyler Tucker as well so I believe that the group is there but I, I do believe that there's a firmer grip that they've got to have on the rope pulling it together and there can be no excuses right now it's got to be right now it's all or it's nothing in making sure that this team stays together before army has a chance to maybe move some of your good friends that are tying up the laces beside you and you know if that if if you care that much then you really start and, and you really start and you start like right now because this is a final couple this is the final game of the homestand now you go off to the road Arizona's beating some teams and then you go from Arizona to Colorado to Winnipeg this is a heck of a trip coming up right here and it might be the make or break Panger you always bring great insight we always appreciate it thank you have safe travels to Edmonton and we'll talk to you soon yeah, that sounds great, guys. Have a great day. See you later. Darren Pang, Blues Analyst on Bally Sports. By the way, Jamie Rivers will join John Kelly tonight on the Bally Sports telecast of the Blues and the Sabres. And, of course, you can hear that game here 
on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we need a fighter, so you can text in the word FIGHT to 314-399-9646. 314-399-YOHO! If you'd like to participate in the fight, next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the fight in the red corner, Average Joe. Welcome back into the opening drive. It is time for the fight. Brooke Grimsley sitting in for Kerry Davis, who's out in L.A. enjoying the sunshine, the jerk. And I'm Matt Rocchio, and we're here for the fight. Brooke, you got an inside look at the fight yesterday. You've had it a couple times. Uh, what, what, what do you think of, uh, our, of our first instance of the fight of, of, for the week? Well, four the, for four tie. You don't, the, you don't usually see that. Yeah, the competitor yesterday really came out swinging and was super confident. And now we have Jay today. Yeah, and I, mean, I might have made it a little bit harder after yesterday's four for four tie, Jay. So it might not be the best. So a four for four tie might not be the best day to have the, be the next fighter. But I still think you got a good shot to take down Mega Mind today. Jay, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm ready to take a beat down like everybody else against Rand <laughs> We are looking for our first winner of 2023. Again, I thought it was going to be yesterday when our when our contestant got four in a row but unfortunately randy tied him so jay megabine's been feeling it to start 2023 and obviously after yesterday he's he's got a good start to the week how are, are you feeling confident despite your uh, your original comments when you came on no i'm not confident right. not against randy yeah, he, beats, he only beats 98 percent of the people so you know, you know what i'm gonna have to go through and do the math because i think 98 percent actually might be giving the listeners a little bit too much credit <laughs> uh jay are you ready to jump right into the fight I'm ready. All right, Brooke, lead it off. All right, we're going to go ahead and get it started. Which franchise holds the record for the most Super Bowl appearances in the NFC? The Dallas Cowboys, San Francisco 49ers, or Green Bay Packers? Got to be the 49ers. All right. When Scott Rowland took home the 1997 NL Rookie of the Year, which Cardinal did he beat out? Was it Alan Bennis, Matt Morris, or Manny Ibar? Oh, I guess Matt Morris. St. Louis Hog Bob Pettit was the first and only NBA player to win four different All-Star Game MVPs for almost 50 years until the 2000s to 2010s when this player racked up across nine seasons. Racked up four, sorry. Right, racked up four. Okay. All-Star Game MVPs across nine seasons. Oh, okay. Okay. LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, or Shaq? What's the year on it? For almost, let's see. It was uh, the 2000s through the 2010s. Uh, okay, I'll go with Shaq. Shaquille O'Neal. All right, and happy birthday to Sean McVay. Growing up playing quarterback in Georgia, McVay beat out which, fu- which future NFL All-Pro for the state's Offensive Player of the Year award in 2003. Was that Matthew Stafford, A.J. Green, or Calvin Johnson? Well, I know Matthew Stafford played in Georgia. I'll take Matthew Stafford. All right, we will double check the score here. All right, Jay. all right, and we will go get Randy Carricker. 
How are you feeling? Doesn't sound too pro- doesn't sound too promising there. I, don't know, I didn't know a couple of those. I feel like I feel like you did great. You you know what? You just have to fake it till you make it, right? That's the way that it goes sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope Randy doesn't have his A game. All right. Yeah, Randy came in with what do you have today? Your propel, propel? and almonds. Yeah, and almonds. Yep. Being healthy, kind of. Jay, say hi to Randy. Jay up. How are you doing, Randy? I'm doing good, Jay. Take How are you? On me. We got good. you. Take it easy on me. I'll, I'll do my, my best. neighbor's Keith Krause here, buddy. So Keith Krause is my old neighbor. He moved over to Missouri. But, I you know, just you guys probably know him. I, I just saw him two literally two minutes ago. We were talking about Snowmageddon. Real good. Great I'll, guy. I'll tell him he said good. hi. Your former his former right. neighbor. Okay. Good. <laughs> Snowmageddon. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that that's going to be interesting to see. Say six to eight inches, no, right? Yeah, it's no. not going to happen. No. All right. We'll go ahead and get started. Brooke, Brooke is, she works in TV news. I, this is what TV news lives for, right? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Snowstorms and wet, and bad weather. There, I can already tell you what's going to happen. Live shots inside grocery stores, <laughs> outside of grocery stores, by roads, all that. Yeah. That's the format. All right. Anyways, we'll, we'll get back to the fight here. All right. So we'll get started with number one. Which franchise holds the record for the most Super Bowl appearances in the NFC? NFC, so you've got Dallas with their multiple losses. They lost uh, to Pittsburgh, and they lost a couple to the Steelers, and they have five, six, seven, eight. The 49ers um, have their five championships, but they only lost to Baltimore, the Ravens. In the, well, no, they lost yet another one to uh, Kansas City a few years ago. So they have a total of seven. I believe... It's the how about them Cowboys. Packers don't have that many. Vikings only have four. Rams only have five. Actually, that's pretty amazing for the Rams. Um, So really, it comes down to Dallas and San Francisco. And I'm going to go with how about them Cowboys. When Scott Rowland took home the 1997 NL Rookie of the Year, which Cardinals pitcher did he beat out? I guess it would have been uh, Maddie Moe, Maddie Morris. I'll go with Maddie Moe. And we have now corrected number three, right? All right, we got the, we got this figured out now. St. Louis Hawk Bob Pettit was the first and only NBA player to win four different All-Star Game MVPs for almost 50 years until the 2000s to 2010s when this player racked up four across nine seasons. 2000 to 2010, huh? 2010s. Tens. Okay, so 2010 to 2020? No, the th- to the- across the 2000s through the 2010s. Got it, okay. There was no better way to phrase it. The um, logical guy here, because LeBron wasn't drafted until 03, right? So he would have had to win in four, five, six, seven, eight. He would have had to win half of them over the course of that time. So I am going to go with Kobe Bean Bryant. All right. Top, yep. top six player of all time. <laughs> all right. Um, sorry, Jerry West. Um, happy birthday to Sean McVay. <laughs> Growing up playing quarterback in Georgia, McVay beat out which future NFL All-Pro for the state's Offensive Player of the Year award in 2003? I'll do the lifeline here. Was it Matthew Stafford, A.J. Green, or Calvin Johnson? Matthew Stafford's from Texas. Um, 
Calvin Johnson went to Georgia Tech or A.J. Green, who was drafted not in 11. So this is the 03? Yes, for the the, uh, Georgia State's Offensive Player of the Year Award in 2003. So you would have been drafted in 04, 05, 06, 07. Um, Time-wise, 17. Time-wise, AJ Green would be the guy. I'm going to. I'm going to go AJ Green. Right, because Calvin Johnson retired in after a St. Louis Rams game in like what 2010 or something like that. I think he was before, well before. So I am going to go with AJ Green as that answer. Did Randy Carricker continue his win streak through 2023, or did? Mr. Krause's neighbor, Jay, roll in here for the first win of the new year. Ring that bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight is driven by mobile on the run. Join the on the run STL Wash Club for a limited time offer of $5 a month. Download the app today. Just win, baby. I'm sorry, Jay. Randy got you on this one. He beat you three to one. It was a tough fight today. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely, Thanks, Jay. Absolutely, Thank Jay. You, Jay. And here are the answers because, again, Randy got three out of four. Three out of four. The Dallas Cowboys hold the record for the most Super Bowl appearances in the NFC. Obviously, the 49ers will have a shot to tie them with their eighth appearance. Should they win this Sunday, that is the Cowboys' eight for the five wins and the three losses. And how many have the Cowboys been in in this century? Uh, I think it's a similar number to how many playoff wins uh, Bill, uh, Bill Belichick has in this century without Tom Brady. Oh, okay. That would be zero. Oh, zero. Okay, my bad. Okay, I'm just going to make sure. Uh, Scott Rowland took home the 1997 NL Rookie of the Year. The Cardinal pitcher who finished third in that running was, in fact, Matt Morris. St. Louis Hawk Bob Pettit was the first and only player to win four different All-Star Game MVPs for almost 50 years until Kobe Bryant came around starting in 2002 with his first and 2011 with his fourth. Kobe Bryant, the only other player in NBA history to win four All-Star Game MVPs. Again, much like the 81-point game, seems like a... Top ten player. Right? Can I can I just say that was that was the longest just, question. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like asking good ones. Uh, happy birthday to Sean McVay. Growing up playing quarterback in Georgia, McVay beat out Calvin Johnson okay. for the Georgia State Offensive Player of the Year in 2003. When he was asked about it a few years later, he said, "I still have no idea how that happened. He was much better than me. He had all the D1 offers. We won a state championship, and so I think I have to give all the credit to my teammates for beating out <laughs> Calvin Johnson." So a 3-1 win for Randy Carricker over JJ. Again, thank you so much for joining the fight and joining the show today. Thanks, guys. That was a beatdown. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. It was pretty tough. That's Brooke. That's Matthew. I'm Randy. Coming up next, the Hall of Famers will be announced today, but there's some Cardinals that played for the franchise that deserve to be in that aren't. Who are they? It's coming your way next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Randy and Carrie break down the biggest story of the day on the Opening Drive. It's time for today's Big Thing.
Yeah, for years it was Ted Simmons, and I was so happy he got in. I, I kind of look at outliers when I look at Hall of Famers, right? Like we talked about Roland and his complete package, Wagner and his what he does, does to limit offense. To me, Jeff Kent is a Hall of Famer because he's such an outlier offensively at second base. He hit like a first baseman. Um, so certainly Kurt Flood stands out in that regard. You talk about changing the game. To me, I would have no problem whatsoever of having Kurt Flood in, in Cooperstown at all. I think that's a great call. It's 9.06 in the opening drive on 101 ESPN with Brooke Grimsley. I'm Randy Carricker. That was Tom Verducci of MLB Network earlier today. And by the way, MLB Network will have full coverage. They're in the midst of it right now of a Hall of Fame day, Hall of Fame announcement day. And hopefully Scott Rowland will be announced. And Brooke, we you asked about Kurt Flood and his viability as a Hall of Famer. And you can make a very good case for Kurt Flood as just a player, as being a Hall of Famer. He was playing in an era where Mantle was playing center field and Willie Mays was playing center field, kind of like Ted Simmons when he was playing in the same era as Carlton Fisk and Johnny Bench. And if you just look at Kurt Flood's career numbers, uh, his offensive numbers aren't overwhelming. Only a 732 OPS was playing in a big ballpark. His average season, he hit 293, was a top-of-the-order guy, Eight homers, 59 RBIs, and an on-base, a career on-base of uh, 380, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 342. But the thing with Kurt Flood is that in addition to his playing prowess, his impact on the game is immeasurable because it was his move in not going to the Philadelphia Phillies that provided the impetus for free agency in baseball. Well, yeah, he completely changed the game, challenged the system with one letter. But also, going back to his playing career, I mean, he was, what, a three-time All-Star, seven-time Gold Glover, two-time World Series champ, and, as we mentioned, changed the game forever. It's hard for me to understand why he isn't in Cooperstown. It really is. And as we mentioned earlier... Isn't it just logical that because now Marvin Miller is in the Hall of Fame, granted, he made a tremendous impact, but if Marvin Miller isn't backed by the courage of Kurt Flood, mm-hmm. probably doesn't have that player to change the game like he did. Yes, 100%. I, I don't know. I We were kind of discussing this in between the break that it just seems so kind of finicky and confusing to at least me sometimes what goes into the voting process with the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's tough because there is certainly a lot of personality that goes into it. Tom Verducci said one of the guys that he will vote for because he was just a great player. And Tom Verducci, essentially, uh, not 100% because I don't think he voted for the steroid guys. But Jeff Kent was not a well-liked figure in baseball. But he was great between the lines. Sometimes, I would guess a lot of times, people vote on the interactions that they had with players as much as what the player did between the white lines. I'm one of those who is more inclined to look at what the player did between the lines. That seems not fair in some ways, Mm -hmm. right? It seems a little biased, I would assume. Right. And that's one of the reasons that some guys that probably should have been unanimous Hall of Famers weren't unanimous Hall of Famers. And I'm sure that why a guy like Barry Bonds, he didn't get the benefit of the doubt. Because he was such a jerk to people that he, 
if you gave people to re- a reason to not vote for him, i.e. steroids, they were going to say, yeah, I'll take that reason. I'm not going to vote for the guy. Now, one of the players that I think deserves to be in the Hall of Fame for the Cardinals is Ken Boyer. And I have a ton of respect for Ron Santo, the former Cub third baseman, who finished his career with an 826 OPS, broke his 162-game averages were 25 homers, 96 RBIs, a 277 batting average, and that 826 OPS. So... If you look at those averages, the 826 OPS, 25, 96, and a 277 average, and compare that to Ken Boyer. Boyer's OPS was 810, 16 points lower than Ron Santos. Hit for a lot more power than Ron Santo did. Did His 162-game average, 22 homers, 91 RBIs, and a batting average that was 10 points higher. Essentially, they were the same player. Boyer might have been a little bit better defensively. Ron Santo got in posthumously. By the way, Boyer was also an MVP and was the key part of a World Series champion with the Cardinals in 1964. I believe that if you're a committee that's going to install Ron Santo in the Hall of Fame, then you should install Ken Boyer in the Hall of Fame. I can see that. Yeah, I I, I mean, 100%. And that's where it goes back to sometimes I don't understand what exactly is the full process and I feel like transparency would be kind of great behind some of the decisions with mm-hmm. who you're putting on the ballot. Also, and somebody just tweeted, just brought this in, fan Hall of Fame voting? Maybe just at least to give a little bit more of a perspective? Uh, I Maybe you do it as a portion, but here's the thing with the Baseball Hall of Fame. David Freeze will probably wind up being a member of the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. If you look at his statistics, there's no way that he should be a member of the Cardinals Hall of Fame. But if you look at that month, the fans should vote him in. But I don't think that you can have Cooperstown and have people voting on their favorites just because of a moment or because they were a great guy. I think I, I think there's already too many people that vote for the Baseball Hall of Fame. I think fans yeah. <laughs> would probably cause even more problems than solve problems. Maybe at least then transparency. I think another guy that is surprising to me, at least with the Cardinals, that isn't in Cooperstown is Keith Hernandez as well. We talked about him a lot. I don't understand that as well. I mean, a first baseman who was fantastic defensively. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me why Keith Hernandez is not in Cooperstown. And what was it? His first year that he was eligible was that five years after he retired. Mm -hmm. He just got 5% of the vote. And Brooke, the reason that it doesn't make sense to you is because you have common sense. (laughs) And here's the thing about Keith. You were asking about third baseman when we talked to Tom Verducci in the Hall of Fame. There is a belief among baseball people that just because you play first base, you should hit a bunch of home runs, all right? Keith Hernandez played in a ballpark for most of his career or was 414 to dead center, was 385 in the alleys and 365 down the lines. It was almost impossible to hit home runs at the old Bush Stadium. As a matter of fact, Whitey Herzog said before a lot of seasons, our goal as a team is to hit as many home runs as Roger Maris did in 1961 because it was just so hard to hit home runs there. So Hernandez didn't hit home runs. He didn't hit for power because of what happened in St. Louis where he hit only 81 home runs in 4,700 career plate appearances. But over the course of his career, 
He was a 296 career hitter with an 821 OPS and is widely regarded as the best defensive player at his position ever. And by the way, even though he didn't hit a ton of home runs because of the ballpark, he hit a ton of doubles. He had he, he in his MVP year 1979 he hit 48 doubles. He had a stretch where he had 41, 32, 48, 39, 27, 33 doubles. And then later in his career, when he got to the Mets, 31, 34, 34, 28, he hit a ton of doubles. And his 162-game average for doubles in a season was 33. The balls that should have been home runs for him wound up being doubles or sometimes triples. It's almost a crime that he's not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And that's because of what you're talking about, because people just not paying close enough attention to the circumstances under which a player played. So let's say in a perfect world, they came and they said, Randy, how can we change the Baseball Hall of Fame and who gets into Cooperstown? What would would you change? There's a couple of things. Number one, I think that the voting process needs to be more like the committees, the committee that put Fred McGriff in this year. I think the the number of voters needs to be consolidated where you can have an earnest discussion. Like at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, they have 48 voters and they discuss every single player. And sometimes they'll have an hour-long conversation about a football player and determine whether or not he should go in. I think there's too many voters that don't pay enough attention to a guy like Keith Hernandez. And then there needs to be a way to depoliticize the process. Harold Baines got in because there was a 16-member committee that had four really influential former White Sox people. Tony LaRusa, Jerry Reinsdorf, there were a couple of other former White Sox people. I don't think that in a committee of 16 people, there should be a representative for any for more than one team. You have 30 teams. So have a, a representative of 16 of the teams and take a close look. But I, I think the biggest issue now, and there used to be like almost 700 voters for the Hall of Fame, They're, they had people that never covered a baseball game, that were football writers, that were voting for the Baseball Hall of Fame. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. So they, they've consolidated it a little bit. I think it needs to be consolidated even more. Because there's people, Derek Gould pays a ton of attention. He's a great Hall of Fame voter because he really takes the process seriously. There's probably guys that pick up their ballot at the deadline and say, okay, I'm going to check him, 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 and him, and don't really even go through the process. I, I don't think there's enough people that go through it that really take the privilege of voting for the Hall of Fame seriously enough. Well, and also maybe kind of an explainer to go with it as well behind the process so that you can understand, okay, yes, I did put my time and thought process into this. Absolutely. So there are things they can do. And today, hopefully, the writers will get it right and get (laughs) Scott Rowland into the Hall of Fame. That's Brooke. I'm Randy. That's today's big thing. Coming up, we have Pro Pickleball coming to St. Louis. And we're going to talk to the owner of that franchise next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. is out this week. He's coaching in the NFLPA All-Star Game in California. So Brooke Grimsley is in for CD. I'm Randy Carricker. And Major League Pickleball is coming to St. Louis. And we get a chance to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Ross Chaffetz is going to be in charge of the Major League Pickleball team in town. And he joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Ross, thanks so much for taking some time with us. And congratulations on the franchise. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Good to be back with you guys. Thank you for having me again. 
So, Ross, the the news was shocking, pun intended, because it's a St. Louis (laughs) shock. Uh, I know that I've spoken to you about this before, but why pickleball? Why was that something you guys want to get involved with and have St. Louis attached to that? Well, look, the pickleball phenomenon is exploding. Uh, 40 million people have played the game in the U.S. alone in the last 12 months. Uh, the phenomenon of the pandemic really accelerated this thing. The game has been around since the 1960s, uh, but has been traditionally played in a more relaxed or lackadaisical environment. Uh, just recently, there have been more competitive uh, leagues and tours formed around the sport, and it's really, really taking off. We're seeing some of the most talented tennis players in the world convert to the sport to playing pickleball pickleball because they find it more uh, accessible and, frankly, more enjoyable. Uh, so the game is, is really captivating the entire U.S. Um, you know, we've had our eyes on the sport. We've been looking at it through the, through the lens of a potential investment for almost a year now. We've been in touch with MLP, Major League Pickleball, the league, and we've expressed our interest in owning a franchise. Uh, and uh, when the opportunity came around a couple of weeks or a month ago now uh, to participate in the bidding process for the final two franchises, we, we really, really jumped on it. Um, the answer to your question, you know, why St. Louis? Look, we've seen firsthand uh, how passionate the St. Louis community can be for its teams. Uh, we've seen it through the Blues. We've seen it through the Cardinals and, of course, through the Billikens, a program that we are highly, highly engaged and involved with. Uh, the community gets extremely excited about its franchises. Uh, so we're excited to bring the fastest growing sport uh, in America to St. Louis. Hey, Ross, in this uh, first year, you guys are going to start playing very quickly. Where is the team going to play? Absolutely. So our first event of the season is actually this coming weekend. It'll be in Mesa, Arizona. Uh, it'll be a tournament-style format. We'll be opening uh, play in the premier level, uh, which I'm happy to tell you more about. The league is split into two levels, the premier and the challenger level. Uh, but it'll be a tournament-style bracket. Uh, we'll be competing against the other 11 teams in the premier level here in Mesa. We'll be opening up with group play on Friday, where it'll be round-robin-style play against the other teams in our group. Um, and then Saturday we'll move into quarterfinals and hopefully we'll be around for the semis and the finals uh, on Sunday. There will be tons of ways for folks to engage uh, and, and watch uh, that stream and that broadcast, some of which we'll be posting on our social accounts here in the next uh, 24 to 48 hours. Uh, the MLP streams events live themselves. They've also announced just recently a huge media deal uh, with the Tennis Channel that will be uh, nationally broadcasting the quarters, semis, and finals. So first event will be this weekend. Uh, there'll be six events throughout the course of this year. Uh, after Mesa, we've got Daytona Beach coming in March, San Clemente in June, uh, and then later in the year we'll be in Atlanta, we'll be in La Quinta, California, and San Clemente. So lots of tournaments this year, lots of exciting ways to engage with the team, and uh, we've got a really, really good team that we're excited about, and we think we've got a real opportunity to uh, – not only compete, but to bring home a trophy. Ross Chaffetz from the St. Louis Shock of Major League Pickleball, and you can find out more at MajorLeaguePickleball.net. You mentioned the premier teams and the challenger teams. What are the differences between those two, Ross? Yeah, so there's 24 teams in Major League Pickleball. Uh, And for this season, uh, they've introduced a new format where they've split the teams 12 and 12 into the Premier League and the Challenger League. What's interesting about MLP, it will be the only sport in the U.S. that will introduce a promotion and relegation structure, Mm. structure similar to what you see in European soccer. So it adds to the competitiveness of the game. We'll be opening the season uh, in the premier level here, which, as I mentioned, will be competing with the other top 11 teams. Uh, The premier level is considered 
uh, you know, the, the, this, the more senior level, the more experienced level, uh, and the challenger level will compete right below it. Uh, so the format this year is it'll be split into two seasons, first six months and second six months of the year, and each team will flip-flop back and forth between the premier level and the challenger level just for this year. The league has a scoring system that will track the performance of all the teams as they participate in both the premier level and the challenger level this year. And then as we open up play uh, in the upcoming season in 2024, uh, that will be the first year that the true promotion and relegation structure will be introduced. And it will be highly competitive. Teams will be promoted and relegated. Uh, you know, appropriately. Uh, and we think it just adds to the unique nature of the sport, something that's, you know, unique in American sports here. And we're excited about the structure. Well, and Ross, you mentioned there, you know, just how competitive this is going to be and a lot of former tennis players involved in this as well. So if you could just kind of break down the what the St. Louis Shock team will look like. I know that we already have the players drafted as well. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got four players, uh, all of which are top 50 pickleball, pickleball players in the world. Uh, two of our players are our top 10. Uh, we've got a, a woman named Simone Jardim who we're incredibly excited about. She is quite literally the number one women's pickleball player in the world. She won the U.S. Women's Pickleball Open four years in a row from 2016 to 2020. So we're incredibly excited about her. We've got Jay Davalier who is a phenomenal, phenomenal gentleman, big guy, big wins fan, known as the Flying Frenchman, uh, ex-tennis player at Wichita State who recently converted to pickleball. He's going to be a phenomenal player to watch, highly energetic, highly athletic. And then we're rounding out the team with Eric Lang and Elise Jones, who we're also incredibly excited about. Most of these folks are former tennis players uh, in their past life. Some of them have transitioned to pickleball for one reason or another. Uh, but again, the premier level draft from the top 48 players in the world. So there's no shortness of, of uh, competitiveness when you think about how the premier level will look. Each player is highly, highly competitive. And there's going to be a lot of parity uh, in that premier level, which will bring for uh, some interesting dynamics to the sport here. Now, I know that they that you guys will not be playing here this year because, you know, obviously everything's already set up for the season. But what are the plans kind of moving forward to make sure that you engage the St. Louis fan base and have a presence here and also the future of, you know, potentially having a tournament here as well? Yeah, good question. So uh, the league is going to make an effort to bring tournaments to each one of their host team cities. Uh, obviously, we think we've got a phenomenal venue here in our backyard in St. Louis and Chaffetz Arena and tons of other ways uh, or tons of other venues that could potentially host a tournament. As you mentioned, Brooke, you know, this year the six tournaments are fully accounted for, um, but there will be ways for the community locally to engage with our team outside of the six officially endorsed MLP tournaments. We're talking with other teams, talking with the Chicago team, the Orlando team, about ways to bring uh, exhibitions or maybe more casual tournaments to the St. Louis market. Um, there will be camps and ways that our team can engage uh, with the local community, with children. We're talking about strategic ways to collaborate uh, with the SLU Billikens basketball program. So we're going to do everything we can to engage the community here and bring opportunities to them, uh, not only to, to, to follow and engage with their team, uh, but to play the sport alongside some of the best professionals in the world. Uh, we're looking for ideas. We're looking for creative ways to engage with the community. So I'm open and receptive to those. And please send your ideas our way. <laughs> Ross Chaffetz of the St. Louis Shock pickleball team here on 101 ESPN. Hey, Ross, last thing from me as I peruse the players in the league. Dallas has a player named Chuck Taylor. If ever there was a pickleball player that screamed for a shoe deal, it's Chuck Taylor, isn't it? 
<laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know, there's a lot of unique players throughout uh, MLP and around the league. And what's interesting is, you know, you talk about the accessibility of the sport. You know, the casual player can range from quite literally as young as four or five all the way up to their 80s or even 90s. And when you think about uh, the level of talent in MLP, it's really interesting the age range. Um, some of the top five players in the world right now, I believe two of them are less than 18 years old. We're going to be competing, competing against 15 and 17 year olds uh, as we compete in Mesa. We're also going to be competing against uh, pros that are in their late 40s. So uh, it's really interesting when you bring that dynamic of, of youth and experience to the court at the same time. Uh, and we're excited about that element that uh, MLP has because it's a unique one for sure. It's going to be awesome. We're looking forward to it. And obviously, as you mentioned, we can see the team play on the tennis channel. And uh, we'll stay in touch with you as the St. Louis Shock pickleball team unfolds. Ross, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it and good luck. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me back, guys. You bet. See you later. That's Ross Chaffetz from the St. Louis Shock. By the way, you mentioned the ages of players around the league. Alice Jones is from St. Louis, 35 from the St. Louis Shock. Eric Bjorn Lang is 41, and he mentioned Simone Jardim, 43 years old, the number one player in the world. And then Jay Devellier, the uh, the flying Frenchman, he's only 27. He brings up the uh, the youngest portion of the team. Pickleball is so intriguing to me because it really did feel like it just kind of popped up out of nowhere because I play tennis. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I would look over. I remember the first time I noticed it. I had no idea what it was. I'm like, what is this tiny tennis court? Like they re- mm-hmm. they reduce the size of the tennis court, and it seems like it's great for all ages. And I know more people that play pickleball now just casually for fun than I do who know people like know people who play tennis. Amazing, it's crazy. Yeah. It seems like you can pick it up easily, so that's fun. Yeah. But these people who are going to be playing for this team obviously play at a very high level, not just casually. Yeah. Before we <laughs> brought Ross on, we were talking in the studio about when it hit us that pickleball was a thing. And he said it was basically during the pandemic. So it did kind of show up out of nowhere and, and exploded. So St. Louis Pickleball, we've got another pro sports team in St. Louis. Next up, we've got rock and roll for you here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock. Let's rock today. We've got rock and roll here. Brooke and Matthew, a couple quick things. Number one, get your phones and put this in your calendar. Saturday, February 4th is National Ice Cream for Breakfast Day. And our friends at Clementine's are going to be celebrating. You can get to Clementine's for breakfast. They have new specialty breakfast flavors. It's February 4th. Put that in your phone. National Ice Cream for Breakfast Day. Also, TSA. Local TSA agents. I know there's a lot of you that listen. All right? Sometimes there's old people that have canes. Some people are old people that have canes that are made out of baseball bats. TSA folks, do me a favor. Common sense is not always common. It's a cane. Don't treat it as a baseball bat. Treat it as a cane. All right, let's use logic here. A 91-year-old person is not getting on the plane with a cane made out of a baseball bat to attack somebody. They're getting on the plane with a cane made out of a baseball bat so that they can walk. All right, let's use some common sense here. Treat it as a cane and not as a baseball bat. If my 28-year-old son gets on with a big old Louisville slugger, say, okay, you got to check that. Not a cane, all right? Just TSA people, be logical, please. Thank you. 
I can't believe that. And and the thing is, too, is like sometimes obviously he got on the plane with no problem. Right. So it confuses me whenever because I've had that situation. I think we've all been through that before with flying is like you had no problem when you got on the first flight and then something happens returning. Why would it be a problem? Right. Obviously, he's using it for that reason that you use a cane. Yeah. And by the way, he's a 91-year-old Baseball Hall of Famer. Let's just throw that out there. Connect the dots here. Uh, come on. Let's be logical and fair. Okay? <laughs> All right, Matthew, what do we got here on the uh, on the old uh, rock and roll? We, got, we actually got a text that I wanted to hit really quickly. Somebody said, doesn't being quote-unquote real good at pickleball rank only slightly higher than quote-unquote being really good at mahjong? And here's my thing. What's mahjong? That's, I'm being left behind here. I'm aware of what Mahjong is, but I honestly think I will be able to pick up pickleball a lot easier than I'll ever be able to pick, pick up Mahjong. Okay. Does anybody, I was going to say, does anybody here in the room actually know how to play Mahjong? I don't even know what it is. It's a tile game originating from either China or Japan. Like making backsplashes and stuff? No, it's like, the, it's, it's kind of like there's like tiles, kind of like a domino tile, but smaller. And oh, they, okay. have, they have pictures on yeah. them that I correspond to how you play the game. Here's the thing. I don't know the rules of Mahjong is my point, Randy. If a, if a <laughs> I just TV, know that it's a tile game. Yeah. If, if a TV network wants to buy the rights to televise Mahjong, I would say that, yeah, that, that'd be cool. There are clearly people that are, a lot of people, that are really interested in pickleball, including people that believe that people want to watch it. Yeah. I mean, the tennis channel wouldn't pick it up for no reason. Yeah, they might. <laughs> but it's they wouldn't pick up something. Mahjong. Yes. Right? No. No. So, I, to me, my, and I is it, is it Scrabble-esque? Is it? Uh, um, I think I think I think more like dom- dominoes. I think dominoes would be a. Okay. I don't think it's really that close to dominoes, okay. but it's like something on the old show. It's it's more close to dominoes because it has to do with yeah. what what like what's facing on the tile, and you have like you have to get you know rid of all your tiles first. So it's more like dominoes. Yeah. It's from it's from China. I'm not going to judge what people like. If people want to watch poker on TV, I don't want to watch poker on TV. But if you like it, oh, fine. It's cool. always on too. When I'm at yeah. work, they I think Bally carries it, and it's always on. And I find right. myself I have never played poker. I find myself watching it because they're so locked in and I, I'm like well now yeah. I want to see what's the happening the only time I've ever watched poker on TV is after I fell asleep after a post during a post game <laughs> show and I wake up and it's on I never want to play poker except for the like three hours after I accidentally watched like 30 minutes of it on ESPN oh really for the three hours after that I'm like locked in huh? I could waste some money right now I could <laughs> I could I could waste some money on, on a good time I don't I've, I've never played poker in a casino though I can't imagine what that would be like I played a lot of blackjack. I played a few, a fair amount of craps. But the people who play poker in a casino, you're you're operating on a different like stress mm-hmm. and yeah. like confidence level than I am. I'll just say it right Me now. Too. I, yep. I've never been in a casino. What? No, I haven't done it. You've never been to Vegas? I I went to Vegas. It sounds weird. As a child, as a child, I was ten years old. It was a family reunion, and it was in Vegas. I remember my ten year old self thinking, "Oh, I'll just kind of walk over the casino." Obviously, they won't mm-hmm. let you in, but for some reason, I thought at ten I could. That was the closest I've ever been to a casino, like actually being inside one. You go to the casino queen. You can put a shilling down on. The Chiefs or the Bengals this weekend. You see, I, I feel like with me, I'm just trying to show some self-discipline because if I get like going on something, it's going to take somebody pulling me out of it. Oh, so like you <laughs> like, become a compulsive gambler very quickly. I feel like I could. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I could yeah. too. I, could it's useful, just it's think evaluating that. myself. Think about that, you know? we, we, you know, every, every third year. We're going to go to our betting expert who's really gotten into it the last few months. I'm like, I have like eye bags and like a bunch of coffees surrounding me and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. For some reason, you pick up 
you pick up smoking and listen guys okay here's the deal <laughs> Randy speaking of uh, you know you said don't don't criticize people for what they like but I have a feeling you might criticize um, this one the New England Patriots have a new offensive coordinator well they have an old offensive coordinator as their new offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien this was earlier this morning about 555 it came across ESPN Bill O'Brien is back in New England as their offensive coordinator I think we can criticize Bill Belichick for liking offensive coordinators who just might be the most boring brand out there. Yeah, but he fits what Belichick likes, and I have no problem with that choice. I think that Bill O'Brien has a really good history when he has the right people, and I think that he he fits what they are, and I can tell you why in one second. Uh, he, he fits what Bill Belichick wants. Well, maybe not what Bill Belichick wants, but what Bill Belichick is. And that is essentially... <laughs> what is Bill Belichick, Randy? Uh, okay. You really want to know. Okay. It's, you'd yes, think at some point, you'd think at some point he'd miss the on-ramp for all of these, but I mean, he's he hits it 100% of the time. Yeah, go ahead and uh, tell us, Randy. Bill, Bill O'Brien is 52 and 48. Oh, wow. As a head coach. That's pretty average. That's better than Bill Belichick. Wait a second. With a, well, let's see. Yeah, he's never had Tom Brady as his, as his uh, quarterback. So yeah, he's a 520 winning percentage without Tom Brady as a starting quarterback, which is better than Bill Belichick. But essentially, yes, what Bill Belichick did is hire an average guy <laughs> for an average team. Congratulations, Bill O'Brien. You left a place where you can win a championship every year in Alabama to go to a place where you have no chance in New England. But here's the thing. You look at, and we were talking about this with the, with the Tennessee Titans, Brooks Tennessee Titans, I should say, yesterday. You look at Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, even like a Tua Tagovailoa, a Lamar mm-hmm. Jackson. How in fa- how do you expect to win anything in the, in the AFC that's going to be in front of you for the next five years if you're just going to get along with a Mac Jones and an offensive coordinator who can... I don't even know if he's if, if saying maximize Mac Jones's talents would be the best way to put what what Bill O'Brien's going to do. Just not you. Just not let Mac Jones' talents hurt you. Then this, you're essentially punting on being relevant in the AFC for the next three or four years. Well, hey, look, Boston.com is saying that a source close to Mac Jones says that he is very excited about O'Brien coming in. He had a good year under O'Brien, yeah, he did. right? He knows him well. But it just doesn't seem like it's just it's, it's if if you look overall at the AFC and again this isn't just the Patriots problem this is everyone not of like the seven or eight teams I mentioned it just seems like hey Justin <laughs> Herbert over in, in San Diego with the Chargers even if, if, if you know some of the shines come off there it's just this does not seem like the move that if you're Bill Belichick puts you back into being a competitive Patriots squad again I'm not saying there could maybe there isn't a move when you have Mac Jones as your quarterback but this just doesn't feel like it's going to give any kind of juice to that team to even you know compete against Tua or Josh Allen in their own division, let alone everybody else outside. I would agree with that. Yeah, they. Hey, Mac Jones is not the answer. Mac Jones is a really nice college quarterback, but Mac Jones is not the answer to getting to and winning Super Bowls in the NFL. Nice guy, great guy. Apparently, dating a St. Louis, maybe even married to a St. Louis girl. Wait, really? Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, that he met at Alabama. Nice, swell guy, but just not somebody you're going to win Super Bowl. He's with. not like you know, Patrick Mahomes. You don't. You don't you put him in that. Oh, you know what he sounds like? He sounds like a solid 
replacement after AJ McCarron's uh, four MVP and four XFL championship run Thank you. to start off the Battle Hawks. Yep. I think Mac Jones seems like he would be <laughs> a perfect person to follow up. He's got a St. Louis girl, yep. Alabama perfect. quarterback. You know, bring some winning pedigree here with back you. to the Battle Hawks. I, yeah. I say this, let's go with it. Yep. And congratulations to Bill O'Brien. Uh, he, he must be really happy. <laughs> oh, yeah, about that, my part. Coming up, my we're going to head down the stretch. We're going to give away some Adam Sandler tickets, I believe. And we're going to get to a balloon party with T-Mac and Ajax here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Hey, kids, you can win Adam Sandler tickets. He's going to be in town on February 10th at Enterprise Center. And you can win here at 101ESPN.com. Limited tickets remain to see Adam Sandler for one night only at Enterprise Center. Get all the details and find a bounce chance to register to win free tickets right now at 101ESPN.com or on the 101 mobile app. But we have a question for you to allow you to win tickets to see Adam Sandler at Enterprise Center. And with that question, here is Matthew. Adam Sandler was in a couple sports movies, but I'm, I'm going to pull uh, some trivia questions from a few of them. Today, we're going from the remake of The Longest Yard. What is the name of Adam Sandler's character mm. in The Longest Yard? What is the name of Adam Sandler's character in The Longest Yard? Obviously, re-imagining re, uh, the mm-hmm. Burt Reynolds role from the years prior. Burt Reynolds playing a different role in the new movie, which I always thought was kind of funny. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so what is the name of Adam Sandler's character in The Longest Yard? Is Burt Reynolds making any new movies? I don't think so. Okay. And if I was him, I would have made The Longest Yard. I just would have been an incredibly beautiful 70-year-old man just not, not working. <laughs> okay. so he's incredibly he's, beautiful. He's gorgeous for his age. Come on. You can't even deny it. 2011 World Series. We're giving away World Series tickets. And one of the contests over the course of a couple of days was to get the biggest celebrity to call in. And we had Mike Matheny and John Mabry and Izzy calling in, and we had John Hamm calling in. And the biggest star we got to call in so that somebody could get free World Series tickets was indeed Adam Sandler. A couple of St. Louis guys out there, and they're like his administrative assistants, and listened to the show, and he called in, and he was on with us for 10 minutes. We found out later that somebody that, uh, a St. Louisan, somebody had a friend here in St. Louis that had a friend that worked at the White House, and Obama was ready to call in, our show went off the air at 6, and he was getting ready to call at 6, and they said, don't. The, the show's over. But we almost <laughs> had the president call in to try to win World Series tickets There's for somebody. There's no way. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. so that, cool. That would have been the winner, I think. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Adam Sandler is pretty popular, yeah, though, too. And you know what? The, the guys, it was so cool. I still have them at home. They sent huge boxes to each of us on the show. It was uh, At that time, I think it was DeMarco, me, and Rammer still. And we all got a box of Blu-rays and DVDs of every Adam Sandler movie to that point. Wow. They're just like 10 or 12. I've, I've still got them at home. 10 or 12 Adam Sandler movies just sitting around that I've never watched. Did it, did it, was he funny? He was great, yeah. Uh, he, he with us, he was terrific. He was really good. I don't know why I'm calling in. We said, "Well, the, your buddies are going to win World Series tickets here." Okay, and he's a sports fan. 
but it, it was pretty funny. It was, <laughs> it was good. So anyway, what was Adam Sandler's character's name in the remake of The Longest Yard? The one that Nellie was in, The Longest Yard mm-hmm. that Nellie was in. Mm-hmm. And for tickets to Adam Sandler on February 10th at Enterprise Center, all you need to do is go to 101ESPN.com. You an Adam Sandler fan? Well, and that's what I was just thinking about. What it, What is your favorite Adam Sandler? Happy Gilmore. And it's oh, by really? a mile. Yeah. Yeah. I like The Wedding Singer. I like I like some of the stuff that he did that is uh, it shouldn't be as funny like the one with uh, with Jennifer Aniston where he plays the doctor. It's pretty funny. I I personally like I would say Fifty First Dates. I loved that. That movie. was funny. Yep. For some reason, just him and Drew Barrymore in that movie mm-hmm. was so good, and it was kind of funny and kind of sad but sweet. The ending was a tearjerker. Yeah. I, I like that movie. I do not know this. The Water Boy was awesome. Just oh, go yeah. with it. Just go. That's, with that's it. the one with Jennifer Aniston. I have no well, idea what this movie is. I've never good. even heard yeah. of it. And the, the f- fact that he has Dan Patrick in all of his movies is great. So yeah, I'm a fan. Oh, he does. But yeah, it's it's uh, Dan Patrick, Rob Schneider, and mm-hmm. um, uh, Kevin James. Rob Schneider is the, a huge the, San Francisco the, Giants fan, and one time, me and Patrick, who is also a Giants fan, I, it must have been 2000, the 2000. 12 NLCS? Yeah, it was. It was the last year for Chris Carpenter. And Rob Schneider was sitting like two rows in front of us. Patrick's got a fit picture with the fellow Giants fan, Rob Schneider, who was at that game here in St. Louis behind home plate. Great job today by our producer engineer, the one, the only Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. Uh, Brooke, this was fun. Let's do it again tomorrow. Don't forget to leave early because we're going to have like seven oh, feet of snow on the ground. It's going to be like oh, buffalo gosh. here in St. Louis. No, it's not going to be that bad. Okay. Hey. Your TV station was telling me that, not me. <laughs> Maybe okay. Just kidding. It's it's terrible. Now we're gonna have all the shots of the grocery stores, madness, milk, bread, all gone. Milk, bread, eggs. People love French toast. I, that, honestly, that was gonna be my other question uh, in rock and roll. If we had time, I was just gonna ask you, Randy. When did the whole milk, bread, eggs? Like, why is it? Why is French toast the official St. Louis? Like breakfast of disaster. I think it is for everybody. Yeah, I don't know why. It's for everybody. I don't get it. Is this, yeah. this is a nationwide thing. When it, did we decide this? It's for it's for everybody because okay. even Tennessee, it, it doesn't even snow. There's milk, bread, and eggs, and it, the same thing happens really? there. I've yeah. I've told the story. I'll tell it in ten seconds here. When the pandemic started, I got sent to Costco, and the main thing I purchased was like a huge array of ribeye steaks. So yeah, we never sell with ribeyes when that's, the pandemic that, started. That that's all you sense. need. I didn't think it was going to last as that's long. That's logical. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Until tomorrow morning at seven. Have a great day, St. Louis. That's right. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.